as long as everybody behaves, this will be quick and painless. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty legged. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, we're back. And it's Two True Freaks with a classic <laughs> Two True Freaks episode. With no format, no topic, just me and Scott shooting the shit. Just like back in the old days, man. Remember when we were a scrappy little podcast? Just, back in my day, just me and Scott Gardner. That's right. <laughs> I used to crank up my generator for the podcasting. And... Yep, we used to have farm animals laying around to make all our sound effects and a live studio orchestra. So yeah, we're here with just. Just the barest ideas. Yep, just our brains to keep you entertained. So, so what's up, man? Not much at all, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I've been. Oh my god, I've been so busy with, with school and. Now that we're doing like forty different podcasts a week, and oh my god, <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining. We're turning into our own little network here, man. Uh, we are. I'm telling you, God, what do we got now? We got two true freaks every week. We got uh, the we got Justice back to the society thing. Yeah, Justice Society. You're doing yeah, those definitely. animated, the Batman animated comics. Yep, I just started that. Yeah, you know what? Our, our first family-friendly show, and I mean, I'm I'm dedicated to that. Stick premise. to that. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm going to stick to that. I want to. I want to be able to do something that that. The, the funny thing is, it's harder for you to stick to that than me. You wouldn't think it would be that way, but <laughs> I remember back when back when we were just in the planning stages of this, and Scott was like, you know, I don't want to censor ourselves but you know i'd like our kids i don't know i'm just gonna try to like hold back on the swearing a little bit <laughs> see how that went <laughs> that was a great idea that lasted five minutes <laughs> exactly <laughs> lasted to the fr- intro of the first show and then the f-bomb started to drop there you go what can i say I know it's a bad habit. There's just nothing I can do about it. Speaking of a bad habit, I was a bad, bad boy. Uh-oh. Bad, you... bad, bad boy. What I did you do? broke a solemn vow. Uh-oh. Uh, a, a few episodes back, I did a five-minute freak about how much I fucking hate Roland Emmerich. 
in his output of movies. And that was a great little episode, by the way. I was pissed. I just got home. I was at work, and I actually opened up the paper, and it's like, 2012 opens up at number one, which, of course, I knew it was going to do, but it still pissed me off. And uh, so, you know, I came home, and I did that. And, you know, the whole sort of crux of the thing was when I left, when I walked out of the day after tomorrow, I said, no more Roland Emmerich. I'm not falling for it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not even going to watch 2012. I'm not even going to download it for free and watch it. And God damn it, but I watched it. And I didn't download it, but I went to, like, I was on surfthechannel.com or something like that, you know, and I was looking in the movie section, and somebody had it posted up. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. And, you know, it wasn't a bad, it was a cam, but it wasn't bad at all. It was actually pretty, pretty watchable, uh, the quality of the movie. Uh, I'll say the movie itself. Oh, what a fucking! Oh, I was right. I was right about everything I said that was movie was gonna be, and and it, at one point it's watchable, just like all his other movies. You can watch it because he busts up the planet really good, and he fucking blows things up really good. But goddamn, the stories and the characters are just cookie cutter, and then. It's getting to the point where I'm watching it and I'm like, well, okay, everything's sort of resolving. There's not really much to happen in this story. You know, the whole world, like basically, spoiler alert, but the whole crust shifts and just the whole world becomes a fucking open sore. You know, all the cities fall into cracks in the earth and then the tsunamis cover it up with water. So basically the whole story is can these main characters get to the you know secret government spaceships that have been around for the last couple years hurriedly putting the elite and the people who can afford to get on him on it and you know he gets wind of it and so it's just a race to get into this thing you know which they don't tell you what it is it going to be a spaceship to mars or whatever but so that's all the story you have. It's run away from the cracks of the earth and get to where these ships are. And <clears throat> when they finally get to where the ships are, I look over and the movie's got another fucking hour to go. And then it just, <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. What could happen in this hour? And then I'm starting to think, hey, maybe he's got something cool up his sleeve. And I don't know why I start thinking this. I must be a fucking mouth-breathing moron but no he didn't have anything up in his sleeve it was basically just an hour of like fake danger you know where the characters it's like oh my god we have to get this wire out from this gear so the doors can shut and everybody's like you know and and the other half of my party is trapped behind that door and it's filling with just bullshit you know that you see in every goddamn disaster movie and after seeing the entire world destroyed, that shit is just like, it's, you know, it's like watching a fucking high school play or something. And and another thing is, the world gets blown up real pretty. They really do a good job. You see just horrible destruction. That's what you're there to see. But they just show the same, it's the same, like, sequence over and over again, like, of a plane flying just at ground level with things collapsing around it so you can get a really good look out of the plane windows at what's going on and it's like okay but if when they're flying through France does the plane 
have to just happen to nick the top of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, you know? God. You know, and, like, there's one character. I'm spoiling this, like, crazy, but I don't give a fuck because this movie doesn't deserve to any kind of respect. Um, there's one character. He finds out, you know, his son calls him because his son's in on the whole conspiracy and says, you know, well, Dad, goodbye. And his dad's like a musician on a cruise ship. So the guy sits in the cruise ship and sees the fucking tsunami wave come in to just, you know, flip the ship over and destroy it, which it does, you know. And you're like, okay, there goes Dad, you know. But no, they have to cut to a scene, like, with the father wakes up, like, on the shore of some place, like, with ice all around him and parts of the ship all around him. And he wakes up just in time to see the tsunami drop an aircraft carrier on top of him. <laughs> exactly and I'm not opposed to scenes like that I can appreciate that sort of thing but it just doesn't play I, it was yeah I, I could I could go into dissecting it but just let's let, let, me, let me just say save your fucking money please save your fucking money and don't pay, don't give don't encourage him just don't <laughs> I think you just recapped the entire five-minute freak that you did the other day, but it's still funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it just it's shows it just shows how Nostradamus-like I am because I did that whole five-minute freak without seeing the movie, and turns out I was right. I didn't have to see this movie at all. There was nothing in it that made me go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" That's uh, that's surprising. Or that's unusual. I just find it really funny that, you know, I'm, I'm going out of my way to post things up on the forum like, hey, let's show some more positivity. Let's have a positivity thread. And, and you're, you're the one that's starting to do like five-minute freak total rants. Because there's, a, because there's a void to... created. If you're going to stop doing it, it's just like there's a void in the universe. Oh, I... And all of a sudden I start getting pissed off, you know. I, I didn't say I was going to stop doing <laughs> And I'm just I'm just trying to be I'm just trying to be level about it. You know? I've, I'm trying I've to, been meaning trying to, to sort back. of level this bet too, and I'll bet you, no matter what we do, that the uh, negativity, that the fuck this and fuck that thread, will outnumber the positivity thread by like five times. Well, that's the know, nature of the, the internet in the long run. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's you know, because somebody I think it was Ken Morgan, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to call him out if I'm wrong about the uh, about who it was, but I think it might have been him that that posted something, or maybe it was a, a tweet I saw the other day or something about, you know, how much easier it is for for everybody to to bitch about things than it is to prop something up and and say something positive, and that's what kind of you know inspired me to do the positivity thread was that, you know, he's absolutely right, and I'm probably the worst offender about that shit about being quick to criticize and and tear something down and i got to thinking when you know it, it really kind of hit me you know I, I was like when was the last time i had something positive to say about comics for example you know about because i think what it was is it was specifically a a comment about fanboys i wish i had the quote in front of me but it was something to the effect of you know you know these something to the effect of like these damn fanboys you know all they all they know how to do is 
tear something down. But when was the last time they, you know, they they said how great something and that was post in, in itself or, was sort of a, a <laughs> negative post, also. Well, so. no, it, the, he worded it better than I'm yeah, putting yeah. it. But, but yeah, I guess well, it could be taken that way. But I, I I read that and really took it to heart. I was like, you know what? He's got a good point. When was the last time? Because I, I mean, I could name every episode where we bitched about something. But I was like, when was the last time I really praised something? When was the last time I read? You know, all the time. Well, I mean, we don't do it as much as I. I don't do it anyway, as much as I bitch about stuff. But then I got to thinking on the there flip side of that. There hasn't been a Walking that, Dead or uh, Walking Dead issue that we've had anything really bad to say about. That's true. And Star Wars, when we review Star Wars comics, we're pretty much, you know, that's a I that's mean, a love letter to yeah. Right, right, and 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 let me put it this way: you always have kind things to say about Jonah Hex. You're always trying to work that into people's brains. And because you like it, I, I I look at it this way. Oh, um, speaking of which, who, oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, go, go ahead. Every, everybody who makes podcasts and who comes on the forums and puts their time into it, I think the assumption is you're there because you love it. You know, right. you're there because you love comic world and you know sci-fi movie world or whatever. You know, you love that stuff. So that's sort of understood between everybody, and maybe there it's sort of like. You know, in a community, and I think this sort of thing would happen, like say it, it, with a Aborigine tribe. You know, and they have their community meeting every week, and they all get together, and everybody sort of like airs their grievances and picks at things and says this isn't working because you're trying to fine tune your your world that you love more, and everybody's right. trying to sort of sculpt it in their own image. So maybe the negative stuff stands out more or is noticed more, possibly. I don't know. I don't have a problem with negativity until it's to a point where that's all, like, all you get from somebody or something. But you got to have a... Because right. somebody who's all positive is just as... Oh, I hate those annoying, people. If not worse... No, I, I absolutely hate those people. And I and I know that there's probably people listening to me say that and either laughing or going, what the hell does he mean? But no, I mean, think of it this way. Have you ever worked somewhere? I, I know I used to experience this in retail a lot. And it was usually like little old ladies. Uh-huh. But not always. But you, you work somewhere, right, that sucks. Everybody fucking hates the job. Everybody bitches and complains about it. But you always have one completely happy-go-lucky motherfucker that, you know, they could be the person who has to lick toilets clean, and they're and they always sing the a most happy, happy song happy, while they positive. do it. Yeah. I want to fucking kick those people <laughs> in the throat. I hate people like that. I don't I don't understand people like that. I just want to grab them and shake them and go, there's a, what the fuck is wrong with you? This job who... sucks ass. Be miserable like the rest of us. Well, you know... <laughs> God bless them. They have a, maybe they have a good positive philosophy. Most of the time, those people are no, you know. There's a few people that pull it off. You know, they just have a sweet personality or whatever, and they pull it off. And you can't hate them. You know, I can't hate hate old Myrtle in in receiving. You know, no matter how happy she is or or how like sickly sweet she is. But there's other people where I think it's sort of like a conscious philosophy. So. A lot of times they're they're all positive and stuff, but they don't really mean it. There's some part of them going, "Ah, fuck you," 
you know? <laughs> you know? Eat my shit, you piece of fucking crap. And sitting in there, and all the while they're going, well, thank you for that piece of, you know, thank you for that piece of constructive criticism. I'll, uh, you know, I'll think about it. You know, I think that my there's dung. a... I think there's a large percentage of those people that are the happy-go-lucky, you just can't seem to get them down kind of people that have a, a basement full of bodies. You know what <laughs> exactly. I, mean? I really think that that's yeah, they're, those they're, are people that have snapped a long fucking time ago. Yeah, and they it, go it, home it, and they're hitting their victim in the face with a hammer and they're just like, this is for Scott Gardner being an asshole at work, you fucker. Then <laughs> 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 they go into work, hi, Scott. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> awesome. Yep. See, we just we just figured it out. Well, what I was going to say, you you brought up Jonah Hex and and my trying to be positive and all that. This is a this is a nice segue into this. Oh. I saw a uh, I saw a tweet the other day from um, um, Jimmy Palmiotti. Oh yeah. And it was for a piece of artwork that. Uh, that he was, uh, you know, sharing with everybody from Darwin Cook for issue number 50 of Jonah Hex. Now, you know, like I've said a million times, love, love, love Jonah Hex. Great book. But when I found out that Darwin Cook was going to be drawing issue 50, I got really, really nervous because, all right, I know that people think I'm crazy. I'm just not a big Darwin Cook fan. I respect the man. I like his work. But, you know, again, there, there are certain artists that are tailored to certain art styles and certain characters just I, I don't see them working for him. And when I heard Darwin Cook connected to Jonah Hex, I just started to sweat. I was like, no, this is not going to work out at all because he has a very – I don't know. It's Did, did you ever see or read um, Justice League, uh, The New Frontier? Did you read that, no. Chris? It, it just has a particular – look to it. It, it it's very similar to um kind of like that that batman adventure stuff that i'm starting so it's to read a little cartoony it's, it's a it's little cartoony. It's, it's, cartoony yeah it's not quite as as cartoony as say batman adventures but it, it's somewhere between like like a batman adventures and like old school comic book art like kirby for example uh-huh. it's uh-huh. somewhere in between that and so, you know, picturing that and then picturing something that's super gritty and violent and, and dark and westerny like Jonah Hex just doesn't seem like a good match. It doesn't seem like it would work. But uh, he posted this this thing up and I took a look at it and it was just the uh, the black and whites. You know, it hadn't been colored or I can't remember if it was inked or not. I think it was inked, but it wasn't colored or anything. Um, I don't think there was even any like word balloons. It was it was basically just the black and white art. Man, was it nice! I mean, it was really really pretty. Yeah, it was really nice to look at because, oddly enough, the thing that really worked about it was that the world around Hex had that very kind of cartoony look, but then Hex himself, the way Cook drew him. As a very classic Jonah Hex with the with the really scarred up face and the really dusty gritty look uh-huh. made him pop out so much more in the world that was around him. And I don't know if that's what he was intentionally going for, but that's, that's what, what I got happened. out of it. I thought it really worked. I thought it looked sharp. So now I'm 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 a lot less 
you know, nervous about it than I was. I was actually pretty relieved to look at it. I was like, okay, I, I can see this. I wouldn't want to see him draw every issue, but I think this issue is going to be something special. I think it's going to look pretty cool. So you just reminded me. I was I was bopping around the internet just looking for big pictures to stick in my screensaver folder because uh-huh. I have a constant, you know, rotating screensaver pictures. So right. I like to have cool pictures in there to stimulate my imagination. So I found somebody who's a colorist or, or a uh, wannabe colorist or an aspiring colorist. And I can't remember the guy's name, but for part of his portfolio, part of his is a demonstration of, you know, what he can do. He colored a few pages from early Walking Dead comics. Oh, wow. Which was very interesting to see. And he's very good. He did a very good job of it. And uh, it was very interesting to see The Walking Dead done in color. And it actually was better. He's For one, he's a really good colorist. But two, it actually looked, you know, if I was reading it in color, I don't think I would mind it at all. And and I've always been thinking, you know, I'm really glad this is in black and white. I think black and white right. really works for it. But this guy, he didn't do the colors like washed out, but he subdued them a lot. And a lot of browns and earth tony stuff, and it just looked really nice. I think it was the scene where I think the character was named Virgil in the beginning, the guy who got bit and it saw his whole family die, and they eventually put him out by a tree to die. Oh, yeah. The um, mechanic guy, he was a yeah. auto mechanic. And it was a scene where they're like, are you okay? And he's just like, yeah, I just I just got a scratch. And he's like holding onto his arm, and his arm has a huge, you know, hunk taken out of it. Right. And, uh. That was one of the pages, and one of the other pages was just them around the campfire and stuff, but very nice, very, very nice. And you just reminded me of it with the black and white Jonah Hex. So now every once in a while it pops up as a screensaver on my computer. That's cool. I used to have that too, but now, you know, ever since I scanned, you know, all the covers to all of my comics, that's my screensaver. That's what you have it just... Yeah, 16,000 plus comic covers just constantly cycling. But what I do change fairly often is my, uh, uh, what do you call it, the background, you know, the wallpaper. Right. And, uh, well, man, I just found, I don't know well, where actually, this that's what mine from. does. It That's what mine does. It, um, is oh, it changes the wallpaper? It's the wallpaper that does that. I just found these huge scans that someone did of the huge treasury Star Wars, all the pinups in them. You know, which are all really goofy looking. Oh, but they're kind you're gonna of have cool. to, yeah, yeah, like to the send back me that. covers like and that. stuff. And there's, yeah. a, and they did a really big scan of when, um, and this I got a, I, I saved it somewhere. I'll have to send you the link to it. Someone had a blog where they were going through all the Marvel, Star Wars comics, and, uh, huh. and and just sort of critiquing them, and then they would clip little, and they had a big scan of the scene where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi gets killed by Darth Vader, you know, where it almost looks like he's burning up. Right, He almost yeah. looks like a ghost or a banshee or something like that. And, right. uh, so I've, that one just popped up. Now there's a really chubby girl in a Princess Leia outfit at a past <laughs> some past convention. She's standing on the on a bar somewhere. Hey, I have an announcement. I might be doing a new show, actually. Ooh. Figured Uh-oh. about 10 minutes. And um, 
I've already sort of, I, the, the, you know, 2012 was sort of uh, maybe a little warm up for it. And I also had a friend, this is what gave me an idea, is a friend lent me the book Twilight to read. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Which I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I have to do it. Even though I know I'm going to fucking hate it. I got to do it. It's just like I have to watch the Home Shopping Network sometimes. And uh, I think I'm going to start this show, and I don't have a good name for myself, you know. I want to be sort of like, you remember Super Dave Osborne? Oh, yeah. The stuntman. I want to be sort of like that, the nerd version of Super Dave Osborne. Some sort of stuntman masochist who, you know, you send me the challenge. Send me the most fucking horrifying movie that you can send me and and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have some things cause don't send you know like you know what you know some 10 hour documentary from you know from a some sort of you know sort of dry classroom that you know something like that that's just tooth grindingly like boring oh yeah I'm gonna find all of those old like Gaylord Nelson film strips no, we some, used to have to watch no, in science no, some, so, something like that we may have to come to that eventually <laughs> but that might be for a live performance that might be better for a live performance with me up on stage strapped into a chair like Alex from Clockwork Orange with someone dripping saline in my eyes and just like okay go do it but you know, it has to be something sort of in the genre or close to it. It could be like a disaster movie or something. It doesn't have to be hardcore sci-fi. It could be something that takes place. You know, it could be Oh God, Book Three or, or what? Or, oh God, You Devil or something like that. Although that one <laughs> won't break me. And the goal is to break me. The goal is to get me something. It could be a novel. It could be a book. It could be a comic book. It could be, you know, a movie. It could be a TV show. But something sort of genre-like. And I will watch just the worst or read or I will imbibe of the most horrible, terrible shit so that other people <laughs> don't have to. And there's there's got to be like a 50, you know, I mean, I'm... I'm poor, so like a $50 bounty for, and maybe as time goes by, if I can really be tough, you know, after a couple of years, it could go up to like a hundred, $150, $200 for the person who breaks me for who the end of that show. When I watch it, I go, you know what? I'm fucking done, 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 diddly done. This is over. <laughs> I can't take any more. I'm going to go out back and somebody just shoot me in the head. I've watched the last, you know, terrible thing. And, you know, I'm hanging up my hat. And at that point, you know, the person gets the kitty and is the winner and can forever say that they broke Chris Honeywell of Two True Freaks. Made him a broken man. I don't think anybody can do it. I don't think anybody can do it. But nah, you know they what? Can. They yeah, they can because there's man they can there's hurt me. Yeah, there you they're go. They're going to have to they're going to have to I'm I'll tell you this right now. No one thing is going to break me. Okay? You punks. You guys are going to have to get together. <laughs> oh, yeah, it'll be like, a cumulative process. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going to have to like 
send me a bunch of things. You're going to have to strategize, I think, in, in how you do it. And you, you'd have to literally plot because I don't think one person is going to have one movie. I mean, come on. I watched Batman and Robin so that I could watch Green Cap's recut of the movie to, to see his improvements of it. Yeah, and but I mean, I, if you I had to Batman sit down, and Robin's twice, man. But if you had to sit down within a few weeks' time and watch like Batman and Robin, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and this Twilight thing, and I don't know a couple other movies, by the time you got to like the fourth or fifth thing, I don't know about you, but I'd be I'd be ready to just claw my eyes out, you know? I'd be yeah. like, no more, no more. I'm you know? pretty damn tough, man. I got a thick I got thicker skin than you. I think that's not a big mystery you know i don't well, I think mean, that's i just have a i have a, a lower shit tolerance than you do i mean i'd be happy to admit it you know when it when it comes to just pure fucking crap i just don't have the wherewith i used to i mean i used to be able to sit i mean you remember when we were kids we watched a lot of shit i yeah. mean just shit 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 movies yeah and maybe it's just a matter of time because more and more the older i get i have this feeling like i just don't have time for things anymore and that's one of the well, things yeah, I... Yeah, just, well, when you don't have as much time, why spend your valuable time torturing yourself shit. with shit? And that's yeah. why I'm perfect for this job, because I will do that. I will, as a matter of principle, I already watched the Twilight movie. <laughs> and as a matter of principle, now I will read the book to just to see... Because there's an upcoming... It'll, it, it's probably out... It might be out by now, but there's a recent Harry Potter episode where... Uh, a couple of, of um, Harry Potter fans and I got into it, and it just took a little tangent for a few minutes about Twilight and just the terribleness of Twilight. And I started to think, I got to read the book. You know, it will. It, not that you know, I hold much hope that I'll be like, you know what, that was actually a really good book. But <laughs> that at least now I'll be better armed to talk shit about it, and I'll be able to like. Right. Literally, you know, I'll know where the heart is, so when that way, when I have the knife, I can make a clean kill. I don't know. It's going to hurt, though. It's a, it's a long book, but it's big print, you know. It's made for 12-year-old girls, so <laughs> I'll be able to tackle it. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, this is an open challenge. I know there's a lot of you, you people out there who are sick puppies. So start really thinking about what you got and send it to me and I will eat it live on Two True Freaks and <laughs> you can see if I die. If I, I think now, my, now I, I want people to be clear on which one of us um, is, is asking this because you know, if you're going to send me anything, send me nice things. <laughs> if you send, send them me, to Scott, send just, me good comments. If you send them to Scott, send like Scott stuff in the envelope and send the stuff for me in another envelope covered up with like you know yellow warning tape around it and stuff, and just be like for you know forward to Chris Honeywell, you know, and he'll know better than to even peek in there and and you, you know he'll probably be able to smell it through the wrapper or whatever it is. Yeah, wrap it up like well, it's you, dirty. Dirty porn that well, you got down at the shop or something. You have you, you ever heard the, the the phrase "that which does not kill me makes me stronger"? Yes, or leaves me more vulnerable to the next attack. I still like that. Well, I I think my take on it for this show, for the Daredevil Masochist show, is going to be whatever doesn't kill me only makes me more pissed off. 
<laughs> or, you know, that which does not kill me makes me more pissed off. There you go. And I think that's what it, it'll be. And I think it will be one of those shows where my anger level sort of escalates until something breaks. Well, then you got to use the dun, 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 dun music from the Hulk for that then, because I, I love that. Can people take that every week? <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll do <laughs> remixes of it and and keep escalating it, you know. So week after well, you week, know, it gets a something more I intense. noticed it, as as knocked and and as and as criticized as that Ang Lee Hulk movie is, I noticed something the other day when I was listening to the score by Danny Alfman. That if you listen to the, I, I forget what track it is. I think it's actually called Hulk Out or something like that. Uh-huh. He has the thing in there that's doing the dun, 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 oh, dun. Awesome. And it's, it's a different kind of tempo, but I think that's specifically what sure. he was going for was, was a, an allusion to those Hulk Out moments from the, from the old TV show. I think that's pretty cool. I heard a pop it's, song at our bar. That totally ripped off the hitchhiking end music. The dun 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 dun. Oh really? Dun 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 dun. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, "What the fuck is up with this song?" And you know, the girl behind the bar is like, "I hate this song." And then like, you know, the riff main break comes in it, and I recognize it as a pop song that I've heard a million times, but just never listened to it enough to hear that it totally rips off the Hulk melody. Everything is just a big fucking rip off whenever. Whenever oh, they yeah. play the whatever kind of pop, whether it's the jangly hippie pop or whether it's the poppity pop pop or the hip hop station, everything is just a retread on samples. something else. Yeah, there's yeah. samples and of something. And it was really cool when it started, and it was just like, wow, what an intense new idea. But now it's become, it's just like computer animation. It's come to the point of laziness. But I say we take a break. We're about that half hour, 40 minute mark. And just come back, and that reminded me, when we come back, I have a thing about computer animation Cool to talk about. The following public service announcement has been produced by myself, Chris Honeywell, as per condition of my sentence of community service. I take sole responsibility for its content. Hi, kids. It's your old pal, Chris Honeywell. You know... Illiteracy rates in America are alarmingly high these days. So, I don't know, learn to read and read a goddamn book once in a while. This shaves off three hours, right? We're back. <laughs> hey! <laughs> and, uh, I was just about in the last segment I was gonna gripe. I've been watching trailers. And... Yeah, you know, I watched the, the the big trailer now, and I saw a sort of mini making of, you know, where they sort of gave the story away a little bit for Avatar and uh-huh. um, Alice in Wonderland. And I was I watched both those trailers today, and I'm just underwhelmed. Now Avatar, they're both. I think they're both going to be in 3D, which is interesting to me. I haven't seen. Any, I haven't seen any of the new process 3D movies yet on a big screen. So I'll probably go at least to Avatar. Alice in Wonderland, I don't know. It just looks too computer. I, I like where Tim yeah. Burton's going with the design of everything, but it just looks all CG'd. 
up, you know. It doesn't I wish I wish they would take the extra time to make that CG, you know, look like the you know, instead of the the queen having a big fat head that looks computer engorged, make it maybe look like she's made out of porcelain or something, you know, or 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 try to try to make it realistic and fantastic at the same time and it looks like a compiled 3D rendered universe, you know, so it loses that dreamlike, I mean there's more of the possibility now to realize what Alice in Wonderland but they're just going to have a hard time beating the Disney version of it I think is which I really think is the one that's captured it the, the most I really liked, like there was some Czechoslovakian animation one with, you know sort of you know, sticks and natural stuff that was really creepy called do you remember Alice, one, and it was really good. Do you remember one that used to play at Christmas time when we were kids, and it was a very old black and white Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Do you have any idea what, like, what year or what company or anything that was? was? That's all I know. That's the one that I believe it had W.C. Fields as could, Humpty could Dumpty be. in it. Could be. And there was I another just... one that was in the 50s that had a bunch of celebrities in it that was that had the look of, you know, that it was filmed in a soundstage. You know, it had that soundstage look to it. It was very... And then there was one made, I think, in the 70s for, like, PBS that was sort of high-tech at the time that had a lot of celebrities in it, too. But none of them, you know, they were more like stage plays that were filmed. Right. A lot of them. And, uh, I mean, Alice in Wonderland's a pretty tripped out, weird, freaked out story and I, things happening. So, you know, Tim Burton's theoretically perfect to do that. And I'm glad he didn't make Alice look all gothy and and skinny, weird, you know, Tim Burton-y. But it, it just looks heroin chic or something. Yeah, yeah no, it just looks that's what I was afraid of too. Too CG'd, and it's the same thing with Avatar. It's just like, wow, look at all that stuff going on, but it still looks like CG'd. You know, it's still spectacular looking, and maybe the 3D process is going to be. You know, the process they use for the movie is somehow, you know, incredibly groundbreaking for some reason. I guess the actors, like, basically were almost in a holodeck situation where they put visors on and could be right in a real-time computer situation so they could react with their computer actor counterparts maybe. I don't know what the whole thing. It's James Cam... But the thing is, the thing that I hold out hope with is James Cameron has a good track record. Basically. I'm trying to think of, like, a bad movie... That he made. He's had movies that have underperformed, like True Lies, but as far as a bad movie, But as no, far I'd, as something I mean, that I've seen and been like, wow, that sucked, and there hasn't been... True Lies is one of his, like, I would put it towards the bottom of his right. output, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It was actually a very entertaining movie. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, and yeah, everything. I what, what was his first movie? It was like Piranha 2 or... Yeah, something that's like what I was going to say. Is that, you know, something but prior to Aliens might be, you know, because I don't think I've seen any well, of his no, movies. the Terminator's pretty uh Oh, pretty I forgot spiffy. about Terminator. <laughs> I forgot about Terminator. Yeah. But, uh, what, what was Ter- the one 
was like humanoids from the deep or yeah, some shit. Yeah, but that like was that. all stuff that he did for Roger Corman, where he was right. sort of just a hired gun. You know, he didn't really get to like envision and make a movie. He was handed an assignment and had to do it in a super hurry and come out with something fairly. You know, so his stuff. You know, there's probably some of his stamp of his quality in that stuff, but that's training movies. That was him cutting his teeth, and then the Terminator was his big shot at, all right, I've come up with an idea, you know, and I've come up with this whole thing, and and it's been pretty much go after that, you know? Right. So... So the the story seems pretty. I can already tell sort of where the story's going. You know, it's a guy going native. You know, he's there to, he's he's crippled, which in in that far in the future he's still in a wheelchair. I thought that was kind of weird. You know, especially he's there's a shot of him right in his wheelchair, and behind him are these people in big like, robot things, or you know, there's shots of people in the sort of aliens robot cargo. Thing. So it's like, okay, so we have all this technology and we can make fake aliens that we can put people's consciousness into, but we can't build this guy a set of fake legs. Cause that's oh, the thing. I it's, see where you're going. I thought you meant more something along the lines of, gee, you know, you would think by this time in the future that, that you know, they would have sent all the crippled people off to some island to live. Or, or <laughs> no. No, you'd think they'd just be able to build them a set of legs if they're flying to other planets and exploiting their resources by then with big spaceships. I, I've been reading uh, one of the, the big things. I've been trying to get caught up on some of my comic reading lately, and one of the things I've been reading is Legion of Superheroes. Uh-huh. And I heard about this before. Well, I think shit, Adriana we can, Ferguson— we can make fake legs for people now. Oh, yeah. No, no, I know. But no, I, I was talking about that thing with the with the crippled people because it, it put me in mind to something I was just reading, which was I, I think I've heard about this before, and I think it was uh, Adriana Ferguson and I from you know she she's one of the the two on the Super Future Friends show uh-huh, that, right. that reviews Legion was telling me about this. I don't think I'd ever actually read one of the stories where this had happened, but I finally read one the other day, and you know, like they say, seeing is believing. Now I don't know how much Legion of Superheroes you read when you were a kid. But did you ever notice that you never saw any black people, not only on the team, but, but just, just in general? In general, in in the 30th century, you uh, never saw black people. In I those never comics. really noticed that, but I read very few of them when when I was a kid. But well, do, do you know why? Because the artist was a white supremacist. <laughs> I don't know. Know why? Be, because okay, this was the official canon. Of the Legion of Superheroes, right? This was the official story. Because in the 30th century, all the black people had been sent off to live on this island. You gotta be I am not, shitting me. I am not making that shit up. I, I, I promise you I'm not. And they finally did get a, a black <laughs> legionnaire. And his name was... Remember, we used I used to have one of those his giant... Lando. Treasury, yeah, Lando. Remember that giant treasury edition I had? It was like it, it was like one of those limited collector's editions. Yeah. Those great big comics, and it has a great picture. I think it's a Mike Grell picture of all the Legionnaires, like Superboy, and all the Legionnaires are flying outwards from their headquarters, and there was the one black guy. And I can remember you and I as kids going, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Because we'd never seen him before. 
Well, that's the guy. His name was uh, Tyrock. And he was a legionnaire that you only ever saw like a couple of times. And in the story where I that I Yo, just man, recently his name read, is Tyrock. 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 They go to this island that he's from, and his island turns out to be like the island, island from of that... the blacks. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. exactly. Remember that? God, what the hell is the name of that Return story? To the island of the blacks. Wait, what's the name of that story where there's that that land that only materializes like once every hundred years or something? What the hell oh, is the name? Oh, you mean? Oh, it's a musical, right? Music. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit. And they make his island like that. Oh, no. He goes goes back to his island for something. And while he's there, his island blinks out and won't come back for like two or three hundred years. And that's, I guess, like the last time you hear this. I was like, how how does that work? I mean, I realize the era that all this stuff was written. No, you're not a politically correct guy. And even that's just like mind-boggling yeah i mean i i was like holy shit you know i mean it i very seldom get you know wigged out or embarrassed about you know i i usually am the guy that can look at things like song of the south and go what what are people getting so fucking worked up about but i looked at this and i was like wow i'm fucking embarrassed to be a white guy reading this i mean it really was embarrassing it was like how did they fly that shit and not have fucking people marching on DC with like torches and pitchforks? You know, well, it was he's like writing him a lot of letters going, "What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it was it was horrible." An but uh, island like Australia, basically, except it disappears. Well, How I mean, it literally, it literally owes back into the thing that you know. I'm I'm sure at some point in your life you've heard this about whether it was blacks or, or any kind of group, you know, homosexuals or whatever. Yeah. Why oh, don't you just, just send them all, them all up? And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what they did. And it was like, no way. No fucking way. You've got to be kidding me. They really did this. They really wrote that story. Sure enough, they really wrote that story. Well, what I, I like, want to oh, know is, what shit. about, what, what, were there any Asians? What about, like, the what, what about people, like, from India who have, you know, dark skin? Were they Were they on the island, too? Well, you know, that's that's the funny thing is that when I got to thinking about it, I mean, everybody in the Legion pretty much looks like, you know, just a Caucasian. And you would see aliens. You'd see shitloads of aliens, like fucking three eyes and two heads and eight arms and everything else. But when I got to thinking about it, and not only didn't you really see black people, but I don't think you, I could be dead wrong about this, but I don't remember ever seeing like Asian people else, or yeah. Indians or yeah. And once I thought about that consciously, I was like, wow, you know? And I mean, now I know later on that they would make those corrections. And I am today. I mean, I'm sure that it's not like that at all, but even, I mean, this book was like, trying to think of what year this book was that I just, I'm I'm thinking this had to be early 80s because this was not long before the Giffen Levitz runs. He got into Legion seriously, you know, like right around the time like Teen Titans became big and X-Men and all that. You know, the the Levitz Giffen stuff was just as big as like Teen Titans when we, you know, when you and I were kids, teenagers. 
and this was just maybe a year or so before right. that. Something maybe like way too way too late. <laughs> way too late. To something be writing like in a story the 50s. Like that. Yeah, that's yeah. like something from the 50s or the 40s. You know, where you could just go, okay, whatever. You know, the only thing I can think of is that this was somebody's attempt to make that shit right. Or, you they, know, to, or they were to trying to like they were trying to do something and they fit like they had some sort of idea that was going to go somewhere that they either dropped or whatever or, or it failed miserably. Yeah, so, something was I don't know. Somebody wasn't thinking. If they were thinking, <laughs> they weren't thinking too good. I, I'm just I mean my my only my only speculation on that is that somebody looked at that and said. Holy shit! Is that embarrassing? Let's just fucking get rid of the whole thing. Yeah, let's, let's, let's sweep this sweep under, under the, the rug. rug. <laughs> but you know, if you're gonna do that, why even bring it back? You know, why why not just take a whole different tact? Why go? You know what? Let's get rid of this. Let's sweep it under the rug by bringing Tyrock back, sending him to his island. Yo, Tyrock. And and then just shipping them off to fucking limbo for three hundred years, that is actually to me is more embarrassing and just you're you're compounding your error at that point I think. But wow, but you know you you had said this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to totally derail it. <laughs> That's okay, man. You were talking about the the trailers and and the 3D movies and all that. The only the only thing off the top of my head I can think of that I've seen as far as this new wave of 3D. Was uh, I took Logan during that brief run when uh, and and stop me if I story, talked right? about this on the show. Did I already talk about this? I don't on know. We 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 ta- I know you went to see Toy Story and you said it yeah. was awesome. It was incredible. Yeah, I took. We went and we saw the the double feature of Toy Story one and two when it came back, and wow. And uh, I I only mention it because. You know, there's this new wave of all these 3D movies. I got to be honest, I'm really not on board with all that. I think it's a gimmick. Well, no, it, guess what? It ain't no gimmick because you know what? Do you have an HD TV? No, no, don't I don't buy one yet because the next thing they're coming out with is HD TVs that have the technology to do the 3D the same way that they do it in the theater. Oh wow! So you can watch all those movies since they're all coming out now. They're going to make HTTVs that project in that 3D manner, which basically is just sort of two signals. So the next it, wave of HDTVs are going to be 3D HTV, HDTVs, and it's only a matter of time before they start making 3D television for those HDTVs. It was incredible, though. It really was incredible, and. Uh... I tell you, the, it, it's got me. The, the next big one I'm really, really psyched for is Toy Story 3. I mean, I've only ever seen, you know, well, just they have these the trailer for it. trailers and, and teasers and stuff, but it looks really, really good. I like the look of the kindergarten room that they're in. Yeah. It's like a real kindergarten room, you know. It's really got that that utilitarian slash little kid grubby look of a real, <laughs> you know, and and – you know it's going to be good because that's sort of Pixar's gold standard. It's their Mickey Mouse's Toy Story, you know? Oh, yeah, They're absolutely. Just, those are the two just perfect Pixar movies right now are one and two, you know, with two sur- actually surpassing one as far as technology and story and everything. It was just a great, 
you know, it was an improvement on the first, which was a great movie. So they right. got big shoes to fill with this one. So I have high hopes for it, though. You know, they're consistently good. So I think this I, is I do be too a great because because Toy Story two, you know, to me, Toy Story two is right up there with The Empire Strikes Back in the sense that it was a sequel that you know not only matched but but possibly even surpassed took it to a, a, a better a higher level and a deeper absolutely. level yeah absolutely i mean it was it was really an incredible it had a story that, to, it had a real story to tell it that wasn't a rehash of the first movie it had its own story to tell that was even better than the first story and that's what i'm hoping for with this one i'm hoping this story is going to be just as good absolutely i th- i have a feeling that uh that this is going to be um, a, a wicked, wicked tearjerker. Speaking of which, oh, I, this yeah. just reminded me. Did, did you see Up? Did Not you watch yet. that? Not yet. I can't wait to see Man. it. It's got a talking dog in it, so I have to see it. I love movies with talking dogs. I rented it when it came out at the Red Box, and this is what reminded me of it. Speaking of tearjerkers, holy shit. My wife and I bawled through that whole movie, man. I mean, you talk about... I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it wasn't great. It was a great movie. It was really, really, really good. Well, it but starts Jesus, out with man, the whole bring... dead, dead wife premise, you know. Yeah. It's that set, <laughs> Spoiler. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. But, well... I mean, seriously, man. I mean, bring your hanky for that one because, man, if you don't cry during that movie, you just don't have a heart because that movie will... will, will hit you on a number of, of levels and make you just ball, but great, great movie. I was really, really uh, impressed with that one. Speaking of crying, uh, I found <laughs> out my roommate informed me of another thing that I want that I can't afford. Uh-oh. Adidas is coming out with a line of Star Wars sneakers. Oh, really? Including a pair of storm. Uh, there's a Darth Vader pair, a Yoda pair, and a Stormtrooper pair. Now, one of the things that Yoda didn't wear shoes. I know, and they don't look like it's They're very subtle. The the Yoda one just has a sort of picture of Yoda on the tongue. It's not that. It's a Stormtrooper one I'm interested in because I've got the the Echo Stormtrooper sweat sweatshirt sweat jacket thing. So I want the sneak, although they're white sneakers, which are the worst kind of sneakers for me to wear. The Darth Vader ones, and there's black Stormtrooper ones too, and they're just sort of they're they're nice. They're 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 subtle, you know. They have they just sort of look generally like Stormtroopers' feet. They have that sort of like rubber boot, hard plastic look with the ribs on them. Just and the same with Darth Vader, you know. He has that sort of shiny plastic with little thin ribs on it and and they have that on it and you know they're not you know somebody's not going to see him and go ooh star wars you know but they would and, and I'm not the kind of person at all who matches my clothes or whatever I grab you know whatever's clean and throw it on but I would like to have a pair of stormtrooper sneakers and of course I wear a size like 11 and a half shoes so it's going to be even if I do want to go find them it's going to be a pain in the ass to find the right size and they're Adidas so they got to be like they're probably like at least $100 or more they're probably like $150 or something which out of principle I'll never spend on a pair of shoes I was talking to today I think it was Michael Bailey I can't remember you ever go through say like i don't know like walmart or somewhere they've got all these awesome 
like shirts and pajamas and stuff for yeah. kids with like Clone Wars and yeah. superheroes. Yeah, where's Why ours? Why don't they make that shit in yeah. my size? They're dumb was... because they think only kids would want it. They have no idea that there's a bunch of freaks like us who'd sn- scarfle that stuff up, man. I don't even wear pajamas, and I would wear my fucking Clone War p- pajamas tonight, bed every night. Goddamn straight. I might even wear them to work. <laughs> I'm serious though. I mean, you know, I, I you know, we'll be yeah. out shopping for the kids or whatever, and I'm seeing all these awesome T-shirts, and I'm holding them up to guys. Look at these shirts. My kids are like, "Yeah, that's kind of cool." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" You're you know? fucking I mean, with me, right? Yeah. yeah. If this if this came in my size, I'd totally be wearing that. You yeah. Know? I mean, well, man, I go to eBay all the time looking for Star Trek and Star Wars T-shirts, and and. More often with the Star Wars t-shirts, I'll see this t-shirt and it'll be like, ooh, look at that. And it's like, ooh, size large, but it's size large for punk kids, you know? Right. And pisses me off. It, it, Although well, it pisses me off that it's not in my size, but it also kind of frustrates me that my own kid, maybe they're just immune to it by now because so much stuff for them yeah. is really awesome like that. But Everything you know, is I, so I, merchandised I, and stuff now that it's not the thing yeah. it was like to us stuff with but I, I look at that and i'm just amazed that they're not just looking at that going oh i gotta have it because i would totally at that age would have liked that because so, i look well, back when i was a kid stuff with star wars on it had a magical glow to it you know oh yeah the, because the, i mean i i look back in like our family albums and stuff i'll every like every time i go visit my folks i do this i'll dig out like family albums and i like to look back at old pictures and stuff like that but I look back at the way I was dressed, and I've always got to ask my parents the same thing. You know, did, could, could you even, like, fucking pretend that you loved me? Because <laughs> I look at the, some of the things they made me wear, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know, oh, I, yeah. I've seen homeless people that are dressed better no, than our this. Parents did, no, I, our parents did the same thing, man. They went out, and they'd buy us those button-up. We were nerds, man. They'd buy us those button-up shirts at the beginning of the school year. And we would have all these, like... You know, short sleeve and long sleeve button up shirts that now are all like all those. And if you have any of those that you when you were a kid, those things go for a mint on eBay. It just just uh, FYI, because hipsters wear them now. If you have like if you have those Wrangler, the more cheesy, like super discount store, you know, the, the Western shirts that you used to have a lot of them, you know, that would right. have a sort of plaid pattern on them and stuff. And they would be made of that material that if you wore them for a couple of years, they almost became see-through, you know, they would get right. tissue paper thin. And those shirts, if you've got them and they're not all ripped up and they're that tissue paper thin, there's hipsters that will scarf, they'll beat each other over the head on eBay to get to get into that thing, frightening man. Yeah, really, that is. Yeah, yeah. Old rocket, old rock. You know the old heavy metal T-shirts, all that shit. You know, hipsters wear to be ironic or whatever, or to be the nerdy chic look. You know, you wear those. You wear those T-shirts. I used to sell vintage clothing for my roommate on eBay, so I saw lots of things that I just could not believe. You know, th- I, I've sold things that look like they should go in the garbage, you know, for hundreds of dollars. It's unbelievable. 
and it's almost like the cheesier it, it's if it's cheesy and it's old it's just like almost like cheesy and, and it's old it's gold <laughs> and you know old star wars t-shirts if you have old iron on star wars t-shirts that are worn all the fuck those things are are yeah people want to hang them up on their wall yeah there you go i got a ton of stuff like that Hey, Old Superman and Star Wars t-shirts and shit. Whoa! Sorry about that. What the hell was that all about? My two Star Trek photo novels that you sent me, photo stories, pardon me, fell off the table and, and hit my cord on my headphones, <laughs> yanking them off my head. <laughs> cool. We got the same Halloween gift from Biblio Mike, which was two Ashcan comics that he was yeah. giving out to all the lucky kids in his neighborhood and... Uh, one was like a Star Wars ghost story, and the yeah. other was a Casper the Friendly Ghost, and the sort of split between Casper the Friendly Ghost and Little Lulu. And both were great. Yes, they were. The Star Wars one is just a good classic ghost story where, you know, the classic Han Solo has to, and Chewie have to give up their treasure to be nice guys. And the art is beautiful in it. It's just very but you know nice it was art. it was cool reading that right on the heels of reading Death Troopers because yeah. I found you know some some serious parallels so I thought oh, yeah. that was really kind of cool yeah a horror story involving Han and Chewie and uh, and the Casper and Little Lulu sort of triggered something that I, I can't believe that I haven't maybe I have maybe I just don't remember but my real like origin into comics was my parents had a had some friends that they used to go and hang out with and when they did to entertain my sister and I who were both just little little kids they would uh, toss us in this room that basically just had a big pile of comic books in the middle of it hundreds and hundreds of them and they were all those Harvey Little Lulu and Casper the Friendly Ghost and um, um, Little Lada and uh, what was Baby Huey um, right Little De- the Little Devil Richie Rich. Was Richie, Richie Rich, Rich part of the same? Oh, yeah. Richie Rich. There was lots of Richie Rich. And uh, those, and we would just sit there for hours reading those comics. And eventually they ended up giving them to us. So we had a whole box full of all those old Harvey comics. And that was, you know, this was when I was like four, five, six years old. Right. I was reading all those old Harvey comics. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I loved them. So that was really my first taste of comic books. And so that was I, that 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 Ashcan sort of triggered that. So thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. I thought that was awesome cuz my my Halloween this year, I got to admit it was kind of eh, you know? It it was it was all right, but after that Halloween show that we did, you know, describing our perfect Halloween and and reminiscing about Disney and all that, then I go out around here, and it was this year. You could really tell that the the economic situation in uh-huh. in, in our area and in this country had really really hit people hard, because most every other year, you know, we would walk until we got tired, and then come back to the house, and the kids would be loaded up with candy. This year, they had to pretty much walk the entire neighborhood to hit every house to try to fill their their thing you know their their buckets or whatever and still came away you know nowhere near the, you know the prior year's quota if you know what i mean 
I mean, a lot of people just simply right. were not giving out anything. You know, houses, a lot of houses were dark. And I'm usually, I've always been one of those parents that kind of scoffed at the other parents that drove their kids, you know, like would drive their kids up and then, okay, kids, get out. And they'd run this out house. of the car. Yeah. yeah. Get the candy. They'd get back in the car and they'd drive to the next. I'm like, you lazy fuck. Just get out and walk, you know, get some exercise. <laughs> this year, I was like, geez, I wish I'd driven because, I mean, our, we have a pretty big community, yeah. you know, and, and because in other years you could walk, you know, it's a kind of community that would have a lot of kids in it too, you know, right. And, but you know, any other year you could get out and you could walk, you know, a couple of streets and the, and the kids would be satisfied this year. We walked pretty much the entire community, you know, trying to, trying to get a full bucket of candy for them. And I was just worn out by the, and, you know, and then we wound up at like the back corner of the community. I called my wife. I was like, come pick us up. <laughs> I was wore out. You know, it, it was, it was actually, it was kind of sad. It really was. I mean, there were so few uh, places giving out and, and strangely there were that many more kids this year. What I, my, my theory is I think a lot of these kids were doing the same thing as my kids and they weren't meeting quota wherever they normally trick or treated. So they were coming to our uh-huh. subdivision trick-or-treating trying to trying to fill that candy quota you know and uh you know usually at our place we get maybe a dozen kids if we're lucky because we live way at the back of the community this year we ran out of candy in like an hour an hour and a half and i felt bad i i feel horrible turning away kids at at halloween time i felt really bad because they kept coming you know they kept coming to the house and knocking, and you got to tell them, sorry, you know, we ran out of candy. But, you know, any other year, we would have been stuck eating that candy because we never get that many kids. So, you know, it, it really made me feel bad. But at the very least, at least, you know, this year we, we ah, got some decorations and <laughs> screw. Them. But, uh, you know, I put up a little cemetery scene in the front yard, and then, um, you know, I collect disney sound files so i've got all the the sounds and music and sound effects and everything from uh-huh. the haunted mansion so i made this really nice sound loop of just like music and screams and all this different stuff combined with that cemetery stuff out front and the lights and everything and uh, i felt really good that one of the kids that came to the door said that we we had the best halloween setup at our house that made me feel really good because you know, I know that in other years, you know, when these other places could afford it, I mean, there have been some amazing setups yeah. here in our neighborhood. But this year, I guess they just couldn't afford it. So we ended up with, like, the coolest setup. I thought that was kind of neat. I just stand in front of my house with a chainsaw idling in my hand and a blank <laughs> look on my face. And that's my Halloween decoration for the year. And you know, when the little kids get close, you just give it a little. They they love that shit. They love that shit. (laughs) Well, I think it's time for another break, and we'll come back with some more gripes and groans and shooting the shit. Maybe we'll answer some feedback we've had. Oh, we got a ton of it, too. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Cool. Hi folks, it's your old pal Chris Honeywell here. As per condition of my parole, I am making the following public service announcement. Hello parents! 
when you bring your children to a movie theater, please keep them in their seats, and more importantly, see if you can't get them to SHUT THE FUCK UP! If you can't, don't be surprised if a random stranger tackles and muzzles them. While this is illegal, it surprisingly only ends up being parole and community service, especially if you have a clean record. Thanks. This is Chris saying, I'm just glad I could help. Now back to Two True Freaks. Hey man, we're back. <laughs> For the third time. So I think we're going to get a little uh, house cleaning working. The fun kind of house cleaning. There you go. It's sort of like house cleaning done by a naked maid, maybe. I don't know. Woohoo! Um, do a little bit of uh, feedback that we've gotten at our two true freaks at gmail.com. We don't get near enough feedback via email. We get great feedback, like, on the forum. And we get a lot of good verbal feedback because we know so many people in the community that, you know, that we speak to on a regular basis. And then uh, we even get some, some good feedback via Twitter, I've noticed lately, since I've, uh, I've been kind of getting into the whole Twitter thing. But we don't get near enough actual feedback, you on know, Gmail. email. But, uh, but what we do get, you know, I really am, am committed until, you know, we, we just get absolutely swamped and can't keep up with it. You know, to to try to keep up with it. You know, I, I I had said way back in early episodes that you know if we got email, you know if we got feedback via the Gmail account that that I would read it, I'd keep up with it. And I'm really trying to to stick to that commitment. And uh, and one of our most faithful of of feedback uh, people is Mei Yi Chun. Always sends very thoughtful. Um, feedback to us and i really wanted to, to be able to uh, get back and address that and we have a couple other folks here too that i also want to address but right off the bat um we've got some from may and he basically what he does is he'll he'll listen to a bunch in a row you know a bunch of shows in a row and then kind of comment on a bunch of them all at once to, to try to pick our brains you know about different questions or different things or you know points of clarification or whatever or just to generally comment on what he liked or didn't like so i just wanted to kind of run through that cool yeah i guess that's cool by me man <laughs> all right let's see what we've got here first one for me we've got uh two true freaks he writes he says it has been a truly epic series of podcasts with your focus on major motion pictures this uh this was going back to our uh what did we call it? Our movie madness marathon, marathon month. month or something. Yeah. something with a lot of M's in it. Yeah. <laughs> this is in episode 70. I got a good laugh at hearing Scott's story about how he, how he thought Darth Vader was facing down the Hardy boys when he first saw the cover to splinter of the mind's eye. That was not an exaggeration either. I was really serious about that, that I just didn't get what I was looking at. So it reminded me of the star Wars novel by George Lucas himself. Uh, I know that the subsequent novelizations of *The Empire Strikes Back* and *Return of the Jedi* were handled by other writers, but this is the one—but uh, this is one of the rare instances of seeing Lucas's own prose, unless it was ghost-written. Well, according yeah, to what I heard, um, Alan Dean Foster, yeah. who wrote *Splinter*, actually did write the novelization of he did. *Star Wars*. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard anyway. Um, 
He goes on to say, I remember even as a kid noting how different the style was from other movie novelizations that tended towards the more generic. I, I'll agree with that with some, but I, you know, maybe I'm just looking at it through rose-colored glasses, but I thought that the novelization of The Empire Strikes Back was excellent. But, you know, that that there's, there's a lot of prejudice in there, you know, in that statement because I, I love that movie so much. And I remember getting that book. Like I think within a couple of days before the movie came out, and just tearing through it, just loving it and eating it up. So you know, there's there's a lot of that involved. He goes on to say, it's still shocking to think back to a movie before the consumer could easily own a copy of a movie. That's very true. So before the advent of videotapes and DVDs, all we could do is reread coverage in magazines, comic book adaptations, and novelizations of our favorite movies to keep them alive in our memories. I think movies as a phenomenon have lost something because of that because they're out you know six months later on video or on a not videotape but dvds these days don't you chris oh for sure you you don't feel that need to you know a, a, a big blockbuster movie that all you know you 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 if it was a big blockbuster, that would come back, you know? They would give it right. a re-release. Nowadays, if it's a blockbuster, that almost speeds it to the DVD. Right. And, you know, so the only thing I think that really makes it feel like is a bit, is a movie that looks good on is made for the big screen now. You know, that's the stuff that's like, you got to go see this in the movie theater. Otherwise, if it's just a character drama, you know it's going to be on DVD. Right very quickly you know and cheap well it's like you and i were talking about not long ago about why don't they do comic book adaptations of big blockbusters anymore you know and that's one of the reasons is why it's going to be out on dvd right you know shortly so there's no need to do that anymore the the, the comic book adaptations don't fill any sort of gap anymore they don't fill a need anymore and i i miss that it's the same thing with like you know the the trading cards. You know every movie used to right. get trading cards. Even a shit movie like Jaws 3D got <laughs> right. trading cards. You know, and now I never see those anymore. It's yeah, I, I do. I really you know as much as I like the convenience of of you know either owning a movie that I loved at the theater you know a few months later on DVD or or more often skipping a movie at the theater going ah fuck it it'll be out on dvd in you know six months as much as i like that i I do i think movies as an event have lost a lot by that you know it's been a gradual process that that took a while to realize you know it still gets done every once in a while but i don't think they really understand that you have to make a quality movie in order right. to do it, it's a it's a 2012 sort of thing. That's that make that's a big movie event now. Everybody's going to see it or whatever. But you know, whatever. It's not going to really. But, but I mean, but at the same rate, that movie's not going to inspire a comic book series or right. adaptation. There's not going to be poster magazines and trading cards and you know dozens of. of you know, Star Log Monster Magazine no, style. That all happens on the internet. Yeah, no. that, that's a shame. I, I I do miss that. I really do. 
Anyway, he goes on to say, uh, it was great to listen to the reunion of the two true freaks and see the terrific photos of the events on the forum for the Dragon Con wrap-up episode number 71. I love the audio of Scott driving Chris to the train station. Man, we got a lot of comments. Everybody liked that. that. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. And it's really strange because I totally threw that on at the end on a whim. I, I almost cut it all out thinking nobody's going to want it because uh, to me it's boring audio, you know? I mean, it was interesting to the two of, of us, but even at the time I was tacking it onto the show, I thought, this is kind of, you know, nobody's going to like this. But it's funny because that's what everybody focused on. I think we got more comments on the car ride audio than we got on the actual, like the movie review yeah. commentary that we did. It's fun. It's so strange. You never know what's going to be popular and what's not. It's so funny. He says, it reminded me of all the bittersweet times when I knew I had limited time to spend with a friend and tried to make the most of our lasting moments together. That's so true because, God damn, did that time go fast. Didn't that week go by really fast? Yeah, yeah. Man. Alcohol might have contributed to that, too. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> he says, I had a lot of fun listening to Scott's driving rants and repeated complaints about the breaks interspersed with the conversations about a myriad of other topics getting lost and the differences between Georgia and New York State. I did finally get my brakes fixed, by the way, so that my car does not make that sound. I like that you could actually hear it on the recording, though. Yes, and it got worse. It got really bad. As a matter of fact, when I finally took the car to get looked at, um, I had to sign a waiver to drive the car. Oh, no. Because they said legally they were supposed to uh, not allow me to leave. So I had to I had to sign a waiver to get it was that bad. Oh God! But uh, thankfully we finally got it uh, fixed because they gave me a ridiculous I can't remember what it was but it was like several hundred dollars estimate on getting it repaired. And thankfully my my father in law knows this this dude who like moonlights, you know, do, doing mechanic work. Uh-huh. And this guy this guy was awesome because he quoted us a certain amount. And uh, he was going to do the work, you know, really extremely on the cheap. You know, basically all we had to do was pay him his fee and buy the parts, and he did everything. And then it turned out that one side uh, of the of the car, the brakes and all that bullshit, was fine. He could have totally have taken the original amount of money that he was going to charge us, and I never would have known the difference. And instead, he, he looked at it. He said, these are fine. I'm going to charge you half. How fucking awesome is I that? I know any garage in the country would have charged you full price. And, yeah. uh... and he was he was totally, he was like, you know, I'm not even going to have to do anything to the other side. He's like, you know, I, I'm just going to charge you half. And I was, like, I was just floored. So any anything I ever need, this guy is my mechanic from now on. He was totally cool. Um, May goes on to say, I look forward to hearing more celebrity appearances uh, from DragonCon on the podcast in the future. We still have one that we have not played, as a matter of fact. Says the suggestion would be to perhaps give an uh, identification of who is speaking before and after the clip. I'm pretty sure the voice I heard uh, in this one is Gil Gerard, and he sounded like a fine fellow. He was awesome. It was a riot. He was absolutely hysterical. If you guys still have not heard the... Um, alternate reality episode where it was Chris and I along with yeah Eric and Todd um, all of us at DragonCon listen to that for an absolutely hysterical session 
of us talking to Gil Gerard and, and some of the things Gil says. It's it's really, really funny. And it turns out that Gil and I are, are neighbors of a sort, which was pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Turns out his wife's a Star Trek fan, too. Yeah. And is, he says it... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Which is awesome, because you actually got some Star Trek comics from, from her. And yeah. I recently got a Star Trek comic that was owned by Gil Gerard's wife from yep. Scott that he had already had. Yep. It was really, that was really cool. And I may be getting the hookup here in the near future yeah. as well. So that was pretty cool. So it was fun to see how many laughs Chris got at the adult themes and Star Wars panel with his comments about it may not be ice and seeing Mala in an apron in the Star Wars uh, oh, holidays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keep talking. <laughs> Along with the more thought-provoking topics at the panel that Scott brought up, clone slavery, the legitimacy. Oh well, thanks, man. <laughs> as long as the, the thought-provoking ones that Scott brings up. <laughs> I guess what? I'm some sort of comedy relief. I'm some sort of like funny guy. You are a funny guy. Uh, Funny-looking guy. Funny strange or funny haha. <laughs> Says, I was impressed by his hosting skills and genuine concern for the audience. Aww. Says, it was cool to hear Scott uh, ask if everyone had a good time at the end and be very mindful of the audience members who uh, had kept their arms raised for a long time in order to ask a question, as well as making sure that everyone was heard from. I mean, I treat our show like that. You know, I, at least I hope I do. So, well, yeah, I would, you know, I mean, I was noticing this also during both of them is people, you know... You know, you would see somebody with their arm up and they would get walked over by somebody else or somebody else on the panel would pick somebody ahead of them and you'd see them sitting there and they'd, then their other arm would go up and sort of prop their one arm up, you know? And you start feeling for those people, you know? Right, Because right. if they've kept it up that long, they definitely have something they want to say, so... You know what's really funny? Is I used to be, like, incredibly stage shy. You know, like get like wicked stage fright. Well, I, that's I out the never, window now, huh? <laughs> yeah, I could never ever imagine myself in front of people speaking. And twice now, what we did at Dragon Con has saved me a shitload of work because both this quarter and last quarter at, at college, uh-huh. I have taken English courses where we had an assignment to do that was like a group participation assignment where you had to like research something and come up with a subject and come up with this fucking spiel that had to last like five or ten minutes and then it had to be presented. Well, that's you right there. (laughs) No, both times I have weaseled my way out of any fucking participation whatsoever by simply going, who wants to read this? Nobody speaks up. So I go, all right, I'll do it. So everybody else does all the fucking work, and then I just get up and present the thing. And both times we've gotten like face. a phenomenal grade because I'm the guy that gets up there and doesn't stutter or ramble or um and ah or sweat or get all nervous or fidget and fumble around. And these other Do people you ever get up break there. out swearing though. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. But it, it, it's I think that's cool. I don't know where. <laughs> that, yeah. Switch got thrown, but it's actually pretty cool. I, t- I totally don't mind it. You know, I really enjoy it. Well, you've been blah, blah, blah and with me on this for over <laughs> a year now. I guess well that's over a year now. I guess that's it. Well, see, it helps that I picture all of our <laughs> listeners, except maybe like Biblio Mike naked. So, you know, that, that helps a lot, too. 
There's a lot of them I'm not going to picture naked. Thank you very much. <laughs> Nothing against any of them, but yeah. No, thank you. And they thank us for not picturing them naked, too. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> he says, I also appreciated Scott standing by his convictions and demanding that oh, reader. I just pictured Eric Peterson naked. Oh, no, no, no. He's that hung was, like oh. an elephant, man. That's the, what this deal is. Ah, oh, I didn't want to see that, man. Fuck you, Eric Peterson. <laughs> and he says, "Sorry." <laughs> I also appreciated Scott standing by his convictions and demanding that the creators don't waffle on addressing matters like the Jedi's keeping the moral high ground while they are uh, portrayed as superheroes of the Star Wars universe. Okay. Episode seventy-two covering Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I loved that episode was a testament to Scott's enthusiasm for the film from the news anchor's blooper at the start to her apology at the end. I did. I love doing that, too. I didn't see Star Trek The Motion Picture in movie theaters, so my earliest memory of it was watching it on TV and falling asleep fairly soon after the Enterprise <laughs> reached Egypt. Since then, my internal debate has always been whether I prefer Star Trek The Motion Picture or Star Trek V more. Well, I mean, they're, they're both kind of on a par to each other in a, in a funny kind of way on the other hand star trek the motion picture has an excellent first half with the gathering of the crew and kirk having to adjust to commanding a starship again to this day i still find most of the second half too slow for my taste on the other hand almost all of star trek 5 just doesn't work for me due to the type of humor pervading the story most exemplified in scotty knocking himself out you know a lot of fans focus on that moment and i don't know why they get so worked up about it i think that's funny i mean do you think it's funny or do you think it's stupid the part where scotty he says i know this ship like the back of my hand and, and then, then he, he knocks, knocks himself, himself out. out yeah it's 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 kind of an odd bit of physical comedy for star trek but i thought it was funny in the rhythm of the movie at the time yeah. It wasn't that the movie where Scotty was macking on Uhura, too? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I was actually more bothered by that than I was about <laughs> Scotty knocking himself out. I, I wasn't as much bothered as disturbed slightly. It's almost like <laughs> it's like your your aunt, your once hot aunt now has a new boyfriend that's kind of like kind of drunk, <laughs> kind of a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my but, God. you know, you could see that it was like, maybe they were like, oh, let's, you know, I, I could see du Duane and uh, N Nichelle Nichols saying, you know, maybe if we if we try to work this little relationship up, it'll get us a little more face time in the, in the movies, you know, it'll give us a, some sort of story or something, you know, I don't know. I don't it, know. It never, it sort of got dropped after that movie, it yeah. It was just sort of it was just sort of one of those things that was hinted at in the movie and then never developed anywhere that we know of. I don't want to see the two of them making whoopee at that you making hot, no, hot space love at that point in their careers. <laughs> None of them uh, Yeah. He says he 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 uh favors uh he says, I tend to come out favoring Star Trek The Motion Picture for all its strengths uh, of its earlier section over Star Trek V and its failed attempts at comedy throughout marring an already shaky story. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that, I guess. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the neatest minor aspects of Star Trek The Motion Picture was seeing the security guards 
on board the Enterprise get updated outfits with futuristic helmets and body armor rather than having uh, to face enemies with only a red shirt to mask their inevitable blood stains. You know, I like that. I do think they're cool and everything, but their credibility or, or at least the, the logic of suddenly padding them up by fo- like football players goes completely out the window to me in Star Trek Three, where right at the beginning of the movie, they get that security alert or whatever the hell it is in Spock's old quarters. And Kirk tells him he's on his way. He goes down there. Security's standing there. There's like two or three security guards standing there, all dressed up with their helmets and their body Uh armor and all that. What do they do? They stand back and let the fucking admiral go in first. It's like, what? You know, he's not even armed. They're standing there with phasers drawn, and they let him go into the danger first. I, it just—it's so silly to me. I, you know, I love that movie. It was probably Shatner. Yeah, I just like—I like—I like May's line about masking the blood, <laughs> using the red shirt <laughs> to mask their blood. It's a good one. Since I also love the idea of uh, self-illuminating enterprise, USS Enterprise. Yeah, I like that too. As described by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens in The Art of Star Trek, uh, Douglas Trumbull came up with the concept of Enterprise being visible in deep space away from stars and planets due to its own lighting. Not only does this, save it, uh, does this give a sense of realism to the ship, but the play of light and shadow on the hull makes her a more visually interesting image. I'll, I'll buy that. As usual, the patented He's the teacher artist. freaks you should wit. know, man. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, he says, the patented two true freaks wit had me laughing out loud when you described Decker running upstairs and crying. Mm, that reminds me. We gotta, I gotta Decker hurry up and patent wits. that shit. What's that? Our wit. Oh, the two true freaks wit. I've been planning on patenting that shit, and I just haven't gone through the paperwork yet. <laughs> I know. We need to, like, we need trademark to, uh, what do you copyright. call it? Trademark the show. Yeah, we need, we still haven't done that either. Um... I also get a kick out of Chris earning uh, the equivalent of a no prize and explaining why Chapel could have known about Alea's headband due to Decker's coaching and the discussion. That's what taking I do, a more baby. randy turn and implying that Chapel might have previously quote known Alea even better. Yes. I found that disturbing, actually. But, Not me. It's you know. disturbing something. <laughs> Something's being disturbed right now, but. <laughs> There was also a great comment about despite having such technical prowess, the beings who repaired Viger didn't take the time to clean it up enough to reveal that it was actually called Voyager. That was actually a very brilliant observation on your part, Mr. Honeywell. I thought that was very, very funny. Well, you know what's so br- you know you know what makes me feel brilliant about that one is about two weeks later coming back from Dragon Con the only thing I bought in Dragon Con was a Harlan Ellison book that I got on the cheap at some discount you know it was a collection of his writings and he Uh sort of trashed Star Trek 1 he did not like Star Trek the first Star Trek movie and he kind of probably because his story didn't get used for it partially but um, (laughs) one of his big complaints and I'm reading it on the bus on the way back and going oh yes yes was that you know? Come on, they couldn't, you know, wipe the <laughs> wipe the soot off it. Come on, <laughs> it's not like it was. Uh, it, it it's not like it wasn't obvious that there was something else that that there was a smear of dirt over it. You know, <laughs> and um, 
It's actually it's it, that's a valid point, you know. Oh, absolutely. And but yeah, whatever. I didn't think of that when I was however old I was when I saw that in the movie theater, though. So you know, nine, ten years old or whatever. And I, I can overlook it now. But yes, I feel brilliant that I came up with the same point that Harlan <laughs> Ellison did. This is funny. He says, as a Transformers fan, I immediately thought that the planet of living machines that Voyager uh, recuperated at was Cybertron home it planet could be. of the Transformers. Yeah, you never know. It could be. And the- I know, I'd love to see V'ger turn into a car at the end of the movie. That would be cool. Turn and into a big rig truck? Uh, no, into a sports car, and then Kirk could drive it over a cliff. Oh, there you while go. While they blasted some Beastie Boys. Oh, God, don't get me started. Well, you know, you just watch that again, and you seem to have enjoyed it more the second time. Uh, say, so we'll save those comments for the next Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I did. I, I rewatched it. He said the sound editing was great. Oh, thank you. Especially the inclusion of the sound bites, like the sound effect from Bit from Tron during your discussion about the memory wall and getting Spock's brain as the subject matter for the next Star Trek Monthly Monday podcast was a great comedic explanation point to the end of the podcast. Superb job on episode 73 covering Superman the movie. You guys mentioned uh, many of the great quotable lines of dialogue from it, but there are so many more that no podcast could be expected to address in in a reasonable amount of time, including the entire sequence about Luther's... uh, lawyer contacting superman about the damage to the layered door yeah i like that one a well lot. yeah i mean you could do a whole show just on the zingers that luther gets in that movie oh yeah he's got a bunch of them yeah so as a kid uh i remember being impatient to see superman uh show up in costume and was primarily interested in seeing him in action i've always enjoyed the humor throughout the film both as a child and as i got older since it kept the tone uh, from getting too self-important as more of an adult. I appreciate the nuances, subtlety, and deeper meanings of the scenes with Jor-El relating to his son and especially Glenn Ford's Pa Kent talking to Clark about showing off and having a more meaningful purpose in life. I like those moments a lot, too. One of my favorite scenes is uh, Clark at Lois's apartment after she goes flying with Superman. As she... Uh, gets ready to go out with Clark. He flies, uh, he takes off his glasses, stops stooping, moves his shoulders back and ceases the nervous stuttering and high nasal drone. It's the most convincing transformation of Clark Kent to Superman I have ever seen. That's really an incredible scene, I think. You know, that that you see just how much of a transformation yeah. uh, Chris Reeve did, you know, to and, and how different he played both of those roles. I think that's really pretty cool. Well, it helps make it plausible that he pulls it off in real life. It helps make you think, okay, this guy could actually seem like two different people. Absolutely. Since I read somewhere, perhaps in Miracle Monday by Elliot S. Megan, which is a great book, by the way, uh, which I can hardly remember from any uh, anything from, of the idea that Clark Kent is the persona where Superman expresses all the weaknesses and foibles that he can't show as the Man of Steel. I always like this concept of Clark Kent as a relief valve for Superman's insecurities, more like one side of the character's personality rather than an artificial role that he takes on. Yeah, I, I, it's always bugged me when writers portray Clark Kent as nothing more than than a mask, 
that Superman puts on so that he can walk among us or something like that. I, 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 I'd rather like to look at Clark Kent as... Just as much of a person as Superman. Right, well, who he really is. Well, then there's... That, well, that that's the... Um, then that brings us to the Kill Bill definition where where, you know, he said Superman was... Like his critique of us, that was how he viewed us. Right. Was Clark Kent. That was, you know, that was what humans were. Which is valid too. Oh, absolutely. But he was Clark Kent before he was Superman, that's for sure. He says, so one of the aspects of John Byrne's revamp that I wasn't so enthusiastic about was removing all vestiges of the loser and nebbish elements from Clark Kent. The post-crisis on Infinite Earths Clark Kent made more sense than the pre-crisis buffoon Clark Kent uh, becoming such a successful reporter by sheer luck, uh, as it would appear to any, to everyone else. But it left the character with much less contrast between the two identities. Perhaps that's why I relish the vulnerability and loneliness that Christopher Reeves uh, projects from Clark Kent in another of my favorite scenes where Clark is waiting for the elevator in the Daily Planet offices as Lois prepares for her helicopter flight, as the people he enters, uh, encounters rather, are either rude to him or don't even acknowledge his greetings. I don't know. I mean, I, I see where he's coming from on that, but that, I, I don't know. I really... The, the only thing on Burns' revamp with Clark Kent that bugged me was that Byrne made him a high school football star. That bugged me a lot because while I didn't miss the dorky, buffoonish Clark Kent, you know, I, I liked that he'd stepped up from being a nerd to being just kind of a regular guy. But when he went over the line and made him an actual jock in high school... For me, he lost all relatability. Suddenly, Clark Kent wasn't a character that I, as a kid, could relate to anymore. He became one of those assholes. You know what I mean? He became yeah. one of those jock douchebags that we didn't like in, in high school. Whereas the pre-crisis Clark Kent, the, the dorky one that got picked on in high school and was the last kid picked for any sporting event and stuff, I think that's one of the secrets to the success of Superman. It's very much like that, that wish fulfillment fantasy of Billy Batson saying a magic word and becoming not only an adult, but the most powerful adult was the same thing of Clark Kent, the dork in high school, secretly being the most powerful person on the fucking planet. That's a powerful thing. When you're a kid identifying with him, if you're a dork, in high school and you read those pre-crisis you know those those silver age superboy stories wow you know i mean you can really identify with that character and that that feeling of you know that 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 wish fulfillment thing of you know underneath it all i'm cool you know i'm powerful or whatever and people just don't know it kind of thing you know you know what i mean yeah and you can't tell anybody cuz it'll blow your cover right and, and I, I could really identify with that as a kid. And that was the one thing that I felt was lost when uh, when Byrne wrote Clark Kent the way that he did. But ultimately, I do like his take on it better because, you know, I, I like the character. I care for, for Superman and for Clark Kent. 
almost as if they were real people. And you wouldn't want to wish being a loser on anybody. You know what I mean? Right. I just wish he'd left the football thing out of it. That always bugged me. <laughs> I never did like that. I'm not a big fan of football players myself, but you know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's just my personal prejudice against football. He <laughs> says, from what? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> says, from watching the documentaries on the DVD, uh, I knew about the advancements in rear screen projection that uh, made for such convincing flying shots in Superman the movie, but it was a blast to learn something totally new in Scott's explanation of how the continuous camera shot from Lois saying goodbye to Superman on the balcony to opening the door for Clark was achieved by rear projection clip of Superman flying off. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. I always thought that was a really clever, clever use of that technology that it's so seamless. It really looks really cool. So uh, Chris brought up a great point about how problematic it can be sometimes to make Lois appealing considering her self-involvement and shallowness. I wasn't a fan of Mark Wade's birthright, but I was impressed by his idea of Clark's attraction to Lois uh, being in large part due to her defending Jimmy Olsen and other people from bullies and predators. This does lead me to say how much I liked Annette O'Toole. Oh, yeah. As Lana Lang in Superman 3. <laughs> Because she actually saw the good person that Clark was and even preferred him over Superman. We can never uh, be Superman. I'm sorry. We can never be Superman and be with Lois Lane. But if Clark can attract Lana, then there's hope. Oh, okay. I see where he's going. Then there's hope for everybody. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I've got a thing for Annette O'Toole anyway. But, yeah, I loved her as Lana Lang in uh, in Superman 3. That's one of the things that, that... moves that that movie beyond the shit category for me i know a lot of people don't care for that one but i think she's one of the things that really adds a lot to that what's funny is i just saw it when i was watching 2012 the woman who plays the female lead in it should Mm -hmm. have played lois lane in that superman returns movie oh really yeah she would have been perfect she just has that margot kidder look and sort of facial expressions and character she would have made a great Lois Lane in that <laughs> not that it would have helped that movie <laughs> but it would have been <laughs> it would have been better if the rest of Superman the movie hadn't been so terrific the turn back in time ending would have ruined it as it is I'm glad that they seem to gloss over it in the movie itself uh, that particularly plot device just fails on so many practical levels but does succeed as part of the emotional core of the movie with Kalel's decision to join humanity rather than stand apart from it. My final favorite moment is Superman flying over the Earth as the sun rises, looking directly at the audience and smiling before flying out of frame with John Williams' music rising to a crescendo. You know, if Superman Returns got one thing right, it was the reenactment of that scene at the end. You know, the, the whole close with Superman flying, you know, away from the Earth and uh-huh. doing the little the little smile at the camera and all that. I, I liked that. I, I can see where people might have seen that as cheesy or whatever, but I, I thought it was a nice nod to, to the Christopher Reeve, you know, the first two Christopher Reeve movies and all that. I, I really did enjoy that. I thought that was really cool. Jump in if you got anything on any of well. these uh, at all. I thought with Superman Returns, it got a lot of things right, but they were just little things and didn't take up most of the movie. <laughs> and then the rest right. of the movie, they got wrong. So it was just like, when you added it all up, 
the stuff that worked just couldn't defeat the horrible shit. I saw where uh, Brian Singer has started a petition to get his cut of the movie like officially sanctioned by I guess it would be Warner Brothers or For whoever. Release or as an alternate yeah. version or something. Yeah, exactly. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you... they want to do that and make extra money? You know, sell it yeah. again. And hey, you know, I'd be interested to see it if he if that got all chopped up because of some bullshit. I'd like to. It, you know, maybe there. It's possible that there could have been a better movie hiding in there somewhere. If there is, I'd like to see it. (laughs) Some of the clips and some of the production stills and stuff that I've seen that look like they would be in that lost footage actually do look very intriguing. So, yeah, I'd I'd be up for watching it. Sure. I mean, I, I thought the movie failed ultimately, but that doesn't mean I thought it was like a complete waste. I mean, there were a lot of elements I did like to it, too. Well, I got just, you know, it, it, like you said, it got the end right, and it got the very beginning right. Just the title sequence, it got it right. When the, when the titles and credits were going at the beginning, man, I was in the movie theater just like, wow, this is awesome. You know, this John Williams mostly. But, you know, it had the feel of it. And the, the plane and all that stuff, and and then it just sort of pissed it pissed it away, and it sort of, sort of almost cheaped out at the end. Almost, I don't know what it was, or like all the writers had heart attacks and they brought in some hacks, or I don't know what happened, but <laughs> it was pretty crappy, you know. So maybe some sort of Hollywood, you know, bullshit debacle like. You know, when people were trying to release the crappy version of Brazil, happened with this one. It's, same thing happened with um, Alien 3. Is he had his whole, you know, this whole thing written and, and mapped out, and the studio said, no, we're not comfortable with it, and completely rewrote it, recut it, and, and, you know, hacked it all back together differently. And you could see that there was probably an interesting movie in there somewhere, <laughs> but what was left was just a mess, and that's sort of how Superman Returns was. So I'd be interested in seeing that. I wish there was a bootleg of it out that I could just get. That would be nice. <laughs> hey, I say we take a break and just pop right back in where we left off. Okay. We'll be right back. This is the story of my family. That's me. I'm Scott. There's Chris, my wonderful co-host. And our children, Josh, Jaina, John David, Jill, Jessa, Giuseppe, Ganymede, Jello, Guadalupe, Gallagher, Gomer, Goober, SpongeBob, Shenandoah, Tumor, Tupac, San Francisco, Betty Joe, Betty Lou, Betty Sue, Billy Jean, Billy Joe, Bobby Joe, Bobby Sue, Bobby Jean, Bobby Joe, Optimus Prime, Yahoo, Condoleezza Couscous, Cosmo, Dr. No, Shaniqua, Adolph, Cletus, Festus, Bocephus, Coolidge, Cooter, Del Monte, Enos, Eros, Beavis, Hemi, Harley Davidson, Mork, Socrates, Domino, and Strawberry Daiquiri. If you lost count, that's 17 in all. Plus, we just won another three on eBay. We're not a typical family. In fact, you might say we're goddamn freaks. 
Do children run naked, filthy, barefoot, and hungry while we mostly watch TV or surf the internet? As for school, we'll occasionally read to them from Who's Who or the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. To make ends meet, we've taught the children to shoplift. Plus, we sell tickets so that folks can stare at them on the weekends. And even though we haven't any parental qualifications, sense of responsibility, or formal education, somehow we make it all work out. We're Two True Freaks and Counting. All right, so continuing where we left off here, this part I really like. This is very interesting, I thought. He says, uh, this is also from Mayi's uh, feedback. This is a great memory I have was seeing Superman the movie in 2002 on the big screen with Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, and Richard Donner appearing in person at the theater before the movie to talk about it. That's cool. Says Reeve talked about how they were custodians of the Superman legend for the 70s and 80s and how a newer generation was discovering the film on DVD. Kidder continued the generational theme in talking about how her grandchildren or her talking about her grandchildren seeing the film and asking why grandma was flying around with thermos man uh the name the kid gave superman because he's on the thermos that she used <laughs> i think that's funny says kidder also talked about how donner couldn't remember uh reeve and kidder's first names so he called them any name he could think of kidder retaliated uh by consistently calling donner harry donner quipped about how Reeve flew into the role uh, while Kidder tripped into hers, alluding to Kidder's klutziness. The unrestored print of the movie was uh, grungy and muddy, especially compared with the restored version on DVD, and the sound was out of sync initially, but it was neat to see it on the big screen again, and I forgot about the lower quality as I got into the movie. I would love to yeah. see Superman the movie on the big screen again. I really, really would. Did I ever tell you I, I I saw Christopher? I had Christopher Reeves wheeled right past me. No, when really. I was working catering, yeah. He was. It was when he was just starting to be able to speak really well, and he was at the University of Rochester, and we were working the catering, and we were working in this kitchen in the U of R that we had to get all our shit together, and that's where they wheeled him in was to the kitchen. But they coached us ahead of time when he was coming. They were going to come 30 seconds ahead of us, ahead of him. And everybody was to stop and be completely silent and not move, not talk, and just be silent and motionless because, like, they were afraid a loud noise or if he got startled, something could have just basically just killed him (laughs) at that point. So they wheeled him through, and, like, everywhere he went, it was, like, dead silent, and everybody would just be standing there with their hands folded in front of them. Wow. It was really weird. And he, he, he had that, you know, from being in the wheelchair for the length of time he was, he just had that. He looked like, it's kind of sad, he looked like a wax fig- figure from a wax museum, sort of look to him you know he was in makeup and stuff for his appearance and and dressed up but it was weird it was like a wax dummy almost of Christopher Reeves because you know the shape of your you know his face was still the same but the shape of his body and the way is it was just weird yeah it was a very surreal situation that would be really freaky yeah I can't believe I, I, I haven't told that story yet yeah, no, I hadn't heard that before. 
I, I still feel awfully bad about what happened to him and everything. And then, yeah, and it's so sad. It really is. Let's see what else we got here in the old mailbag. In the old sack. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so on to the next one. We have one from Mr. Michael Bailey. And he writes, Scott and Chris, he says, I realize I'm probably writing this to the wrong address, but I wanted to drop you guys a line, not only to tell you how much I have been enjoying the show in general, but also to tell you how much I enjoyed the last three episodes. Since episode 70, you can see these emails are piling up because this is going back a little ways on some of these. Since I really dug the Star Wars episode, mainly because it, uh, you told it from the vantage point of what it was like for both of you when the movie first came out. I love this type of podcasting, although that opinion is colored by the fact that the whole personal anecdotes mixed with information is the form, uh, format that I use for the two podcasts that I produce. To me, it's just as interesting, if not more interesting, to hear about uh, what a person was going through and what their thought process was during the time period and how those opinions may have changed over the years than a simple commentary slash play-by-play. Well, I mean, that was kind of our thought as well. I mean, that was the whole reason behind why we did that episode the way we did. Plus, we figured that had been done to death at yeah, that point. Yeah, that's what, that's what we have unique to offer to Star Wars, you know. If right. you want information about Star Wars and how it was done and who was in it, you know, although we do talk about stuff like that, but if you want, like, documentary stuff or, you know, the latest news and stuff, you just have to go to the Internet. It's a few mouse clicks away, you know, so – and it's a lot easier to do than listen to Two True Freaks. So, you know, we might as well do something that's unique to us. Right, Exactly. He says, I was a little over a year old when Star Wars came out in 1977, so I missed out on the initial craze. But I have one of those people that is fascinated to know what it was like for kids at the time, and your episode gave me that insight. It is interesting uh, to hear that despite being separated by a few years, that there is this commonality among the grade school experiences of the people of our generation. Change Star Wars to G.I. Joe or Transformers, and you have the same stories with different names for me. It is also nice to know that I was not the only kid who would see a trailer or ad and ha- uh, have a jumbled mess of opinions about what was coming based on what I saw or what I thought I saw and the conclusions you jumped to with a limited amount of information. That's very true. I was bad about that as a kid. Well, nowadays you can watch it on YouTube and go through it frame by frame and figure out what's going on. That's what we did when the uh, episode one trailer came out. You know, we'd load it up on our computers and we could literally frame by frame through it and scrutinize everything. Whereas before, if you would have had to pay to go see a movie and hopefully see it and then it would whip by and you'd be like, did I just see what I just saw? (laughs) More than anything, I related to the stories you told. I had a similar experience to Scott when he saw the Empire trailer after so many years uh, to getting to finally see the theatrical cut of Superman the movie when it was released on that huge 14-disc set. It was a wave of nostalgia because for the longest time, okay, five years, but I could never find a video copy of Superman the movie that wasn't fucked up in some way. All I had was the director's cut. Hearing the original sound effects and musical score took me back to the hundreds of times I watched the movie as a kid. And while I enjoy the director's cut on uh, a variety of levels, the theatrical version is my version. 
though I am sure I will have more to say when you uh, get to that movie this week. By the way, I now want to track down the original trading card sets to the Star Wars Empire, or yeah, to the Star Wars Empire and Jedi sets. Thanks heaps. <laughs> I am also looking forward to your episode on Jedi, as that was the only uh, of the first three films I got to see in the theater. Oh, you poor bastard! Oh man, pitiful. That's pitiful. Sad. That's really sad. He should have at least seen Empire in the theater. Oh. He says, oh, and I want a copy of Chris Sings the Shit Out of the Movies. Laugh myself sick, and I hate uh, that I didn't think to do such a thing myself. That is very funny, by the way, that you, you, you humiliated yourself like that just for a gag. Well, you know, if we became real famous or something, that would be the kind of thing that I'd make into a real album that would be so <laughs> fucking horrifying. But, you know, it's like... Quick, you better jump, put an album out. Okay, Honeywell sings the shit out of the classics. There'll yep, be a there sequel there'll be a sequel to that. We we've gotta find some more good movie themes, but I'm you know, I'm feeling pretty creative lately. So That will be basically your version of Mr. Spock's sounds from space or whatever if the you, hell. Yeah, that if album you have is. if I had a hammer, if you have any suggestions, send them my way. I have a band too, so if you have any suggestions for songs that you want me to sing, two true freaks at at gmail.com or you know come on over to the forum I want and you tell and me. one of your bands to do a version of uh, Charlie's Our New Darling from Charlie X like <laughs> you know we were working up and we still have and as almost as a gag in our to learn list up on our on our dry erase board the theme to Plastic Man and one day we will learn that plastic man. Plastic man! I love that song. I was listening to one of our old episodes the other day that had plastic man in it and was just dying laughing. He's a real good guy in a bright, a bright red suit. Red suit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he goes on to say, episode 71. I really hate that we couldn't get together to at least say hi during Dragon Con, but I'm glad y'all had a great time. I am totally with you uh, uh, with you about asshats that want to take the fun out of everything and be the biggest jack-off on the panel. Yep. <laughs> I'm glad you guys were there on the Clone Wars panel to take up for the other side. We got those kudos quite a little bit about our performance at both those panels, actually. Yes, we brewed out the jack-offs. <laughs> well, I have... While I have my elitist moments and definitely have strong opinions on certain matters as I get older, a lot of those sort of things seem less and less important, and it becomes more about having fun. Abso-frickin-lutely. I think you nailed the DragonCon experience, and hopefully next year we can get together and have dinner and maybe record some audio for either of our shows. Definitely. See, as you can tell by this email, this was long before Michael and I really became good friends, and, and of course this was long before we recorded anything together or started doing a show together or anything like that. Michael Bailey, for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, now my co-host on uh, um, Tales of the Justice Society of America. It's a show we started together, and uh, I'm having a blast doing that show with him. Michael's a really cool guy. Yeah, he's guy. a great guy. I've, I've ended up uh, having little text exchanges with him the last couple days that have been pretty funny. He is and, uh, very. He's, fun. he's he's just very. He's very much of the same mindset as you and I. So you'll be seeing him popping up on our shows. I just finished off our uh, 
Indiana Jones retrospective show, which will be up up and you'll have heard it by now, and you'll as you'll know he's on that and does mm-hmm. a great job. He and we just sort of we just sort of plucked him out of thin air. He was just sort of around when we yeah, were going to record that show right and said, in. "Hey, guess what we're doing? Do you want to do it too?" And he did a great great job. So, great job, great job. <laughs> Says your Good. elevator encounter with Chewbacca reminded me of something that happened during the 2008 Dragon Con. I was going back to the room at the Marriott, and as I was walking up to my room, uh, the door to the room next to mine opened, and out walked Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, nice. and several other people. Oh, that's awesome. Says I just froze. I am a bit of a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, and those two are among my favorite actors on this sp- on the show, especially Spiner, who is wickedly talented. Uh, I wish I could have thought of something to say, but I was so dumbfounded that there wasn't uh, a table filled with pictures separating us that my mind went blank. Jonathan Frakes looked at me, smiled, and told me to have a nice con. <laughs> it was a neat little moment and pretty much goes to the heart of what Dragon Con is to me. That's cool. Right I just there. I told somebody about the Chewbacca moment, and I'm like, then we were in an elevator with Chewbacca, and they were just sort of like, yeah. And they were pick, and I could tell they were picturing, you know, some guy was dressed up as Chewbacca, and we rode the elevator. In and I said, no, <laughs> we were in the elevator with Chewbacca, the guy who was the original guy in the Chewbacca suit, not in a Chewbacca suit. How do you know? Because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> I know what Chewbacca looks like. Right. <laughs> you know, I know what Peter Mayhew looks like. And there, he, uh, you know, there's no mis- Once you see what Peter Mayhew looks like, there's no mistaking him, you know, after that. So it was just, it was funny. They were just like, well, how would you know, you know, what Chewbacca looked like? Because I'd seen him before. <laughs> He says, as much as I enjoyed the Dragon Con coverage, I was more engaged by the conversation you had on the way to There you go again. It was great to hear little stories from your past and your opinions on the anniversary of 9-11. This was great podcasting, guys, and I'm glad you included it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I think I, it's just amazing That's to the me kind that- of sucking up that gets you to show with Scott Gardner. <laughs> It's just, again, it just blows me away. Something that I just threw in thinking yeah. that nobody was going to like it. That's the thing that everybody liked the best about that show. It just That's what I like the best about that show, and I didn't know it was going to be on there. I, for, I frankly forgot we even did it. I think I pretty much forgot once we started recording, I wasn't really paying attention. You know, we were just chatting and trying right. to find our way to the station and, and all that. So... It was, and and I started li- and I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I better listen to this, see what this sounds like. And then I got completely absorbed into it. So, yeah. It makes me wish I had just left the damn recorder on like the whole time you were here and gotten all kinds of crazy stuff that we could use God. and couldn't <laughs> use. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He wraps it up by saying, episode 72, because of you, I am at this very moment watching my copy of the director's edition of Star Trek, the motion picture. All right. Says, congrats, gentlemen. You have changed my opinion of the film. I think I appreciate it now more than I used to when I would fall into the trap that a lot of fans uh, have in the past. And it doesn't help that Kevin Smith gave us talking points several years ago. 
I'm not sure I understand what the hell he's saying in that part. Yeah, he must have said something. He must have been talking some smack about Star Trek The Motion Picture. Ah, he's a dick. I'm really digging on this film and want to check out that novelization. I love the novelizations of this era because it uh, always gave you a greater insight into the story or at least an earlier draft of the script. Well, that book is definitely that way, and I like it because that one's actually written by Roddenberry himself. You know, he, he took that much, uh, you know, he that story meant so much to him, you know, that that was the one that he took a personal hand in, and I think that's what makes that book really special. It also served as the DVD of its day since you couldn't buy even a VHS co- copy when this film first came out. Thank you for making me take another look at this movie. It's not my favorite. Uh, two and four are in a dead heat for the favorite position. But at the same time, I have a higher opinion than I used to. I now want to Netflix the original series to finally get around to watching it as I have never done so. Wow. He says, and you all... Yeah, I know. That's, that's pretty wild. He says, and you all were right. He said, the score is amazing. I need to track down a copy of this and other Trek music. Says thanks again for an amazing podcast. I am really enjoying it. Take care, guys. Michael Bailey. And as a PS, he says you guys keep mentioning WPIX out of New York City. Uh, For all of my young life, when I lived in Endicott, New York, Mountaintop, PA, or Allentown, Pennsylvania, WPIX was a part of my cultural life. Hearing you guys mentioning that station always makes me smile a nostalgic smile. I have I have friends from Endicott. Might, oh really? I, that reminds me. I have a friend from Endicott who might, who's probably about Michael Bailey's age. Where may is know. Endicott in New it's York? Near, it's right remember. next to Binghamton, New York. Oh okay. All right, we got just a couple other real quick ones, and that'll be about it. We've got uh, one from a fella here. Uh, all, at first, all this is actually two emails mushed together. At first, he only identified himself as Josh. So when I emailed him back to ask him if I could use his uh, email, I didn't know who he was. I asked him if he was Josh Baker, and and here's what he says here. He says, hey, Scott and Chris, he says, I enjoyed the hell out of your recent Mask of the Phantasm episode. I really need to watch that movie again. So on the subject of superhero cartoons, I wanted to let you know the uh, entire run of the 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoon was just released on DVD this Tuesday. I've got to get that. I, I really would like to own that because that's a very, very cool cartoon. Since this show is apparently long uh, forgotten, but I remember waking up extra early to catch it a few times on Saturday mornings before it vanished. Uh, I've been watching a few episodes before I go to sleep at night, and I love it. The show uses John Williams' theme and is the first to have uh, evil businessman Luther. Some of the designs were by Gil Kane, and Marv Wolfman was the head story editor. Well, Josh, head over to uh, uh, the Superman homepage and find Michael Bailey's uh, podcast that he co-hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. It's called uh, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. And I'm not sure which episode it is. Hopefully there's show notes up over there. But they recently did an episode where they talked to Marv Wolfman. And they actually talked to him a little bit about this 1988 Ruby Spears Superman cartoon. It's a really good episode, and you'd really enjoy it if you like that cartoon. So check that out and uh, tell them Two True Freaks sent you. 
He goes on to say, Scott, I know you're a big uh, Superman fan, so you probably know uh, of this show's existence already. Yeah, I've had it bootlegged for a long, long time now because uh, somewhere or other along the line, I actually acquired um, VHS copies of it that somebody had recorded. And uh, But I, I really want to get it on DVD so that it's high quality and everything. So it would be great if you could dedicate some time to an episode to discuss this show. I highly recommend watching it. Actually, that's not a bad idea, and I know that uh, that Michael's a big fan of that, so maybe uh, maybe we could swing that somewhere down the road. He says, I don't care if you read uh, read this on the show. My last name's Elder King, by the way. Uh, I don't know who this Baker fellow is because I, I speculated he was Josh Baker, and he just forgot to sign his uh, the first email he had sent, but he's actually a completely different Josh, so that's pretty cool. So, Scott, it's uh, that time of year again. So while perusing Netflix for good Christmas movies to add, I remembered uh, the only A Christmas Carol that I'll rewatch and actually like, the 1984 George C. Scott version. But I did vaguely remember you saying on the show that you didn't like this one but never went into much explanation. Everyone I know likes it, so now it's really irking me uh, (laughs) about what fatal flaws I may be missing. Go easy on it, though. I'm really, I'm already really upset that Netflix website doesn't have the 1996 Hulk Hogan classic Santa with muscles. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke or not, but okay. It probably Here's the thing isn't. About the that's a sad Scott. thing. I, I think that movie. I, I think it's one of those things that you identify with what you grew up with. I grew up with. The Albert Finney version. I remember seeing that at the theater. We actually went on a class field trip. Yep. All the way from like Carthage Elementary School all the way to Watertown, which how far is that, Chris? That's like 23 it's miles. Like 25 so, miles, right? yeah. Yeah. And we went on a field trip. I want to say this was Miss Swenson's class, but I could be wrong. But anyway, we went on a school field trip and we went to the theater and we saw the Albert Finney version of Scrooge at the movie theater. And I just fell in love with it. And I remember seeing it and this was the one where Scrooge went to hell. Right. And it, it scared the piss out of me, but in a, but in a way that made me love it. You know what I mean? You were in Miss Swenson's class. Oh yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Remember when I said that I used to hang out with my parents' friend's house in the room full of comics? Uh-huh. That was their house. That was Miss Swenson's oh, cool. house. You know, she was my third grade teacher. So how old would I have been? Like seven, eight years old? Yeah. Even at that tender age, I had the biggest crush on yeah, that she was, hot. she was gorgeous. She was a beautiful woman. Yeah, hot redhead. Maybe that's where my fascination with redheads she had a very bernadette peters thing going on you think so see i never thought bernadette peters was particularly attractive though that might have been just the 70s but she had that sort of curly hair and red hair and light complexion anyway but see i can't nail down why i don't like that George C. Scott version because I actually like George C. Scott Uh i think he's a good actor yeah he's great and he's a natural for scrooge but see that nothing is ever going to shake me from that Albert Finney version. That to me is just the definitive version of that story. That's the one that I love the most. And I, I love that story. I like just about every version of that story that's ever been told, but that's the version I like the best. 
And I remember when I started working in video here in Georgia um, was the first time I really heard about the George C. Scott version because people kept coming into the stores where I worked and requesting it all the time. And they were looking for this movie. And I'd never heard of it. And so after years and years of buildup of every Christmas would come along and people would ask for this and it, and it was not released. When it finally did get released and I finally watched it, I just didn't get it. I was like, what? What's so special? I just didn't think it was entertaining. I thought it was – as a matter of fact, I think that's a really dry version of it. I, I didn't think it maybe had a lot of – Maybe you had to seen it, it as a kid. You know, Maybe it's I, I the one you see when you're a kid. I think it's one of those things where you latch on to what you what you loved as a kid or whatever or, or whatever, you know, like that. So, yeah, I just you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to tear it up because I can't tear it up. I only ever saw it once and just didn't like it. That's all I can tell you. You know, I, I just thought it was a little bit dry and I didn't think he was a particularly to me, the best Scrooge in in, in adaptations of that story are the Scrooges that are really nasty vicious bastards yes. in the beginning of the story but then at the end of the story you know they they've gained what they've gained and they and they suddenly become like the sweet old man and in that version George C Scott just didn't sell it for me you know he just didn't sell me as well he was he more was grumpy just, than mean right exactly and and that's not you know Scrooge is more than just a grump he's just a miserable old son of a bitch and George C. Scott, to me, is like a big huggy bear. You know what I mean? He he just never struck me as, you know, the tough as nails, all that, you know, rotten old bastard that, that Scrooge should be. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to tear down your childhood. I'm just trying to tell you why that movie just didn't, didn't hit me on that level. Anyway, Josh wraps up his email by saying, uh, on the show, you mentioned something about reviewing the Batman Adventures comics. These comics are so great. They're what got me into reading comics in general since I started going to the store every month to get the new Batman Adventures issue. It says, yeah, there's something on the uh, earth-2.net site that reviews each issue, but they're pretty weak. First of all, the reviewer can't stand Mike Parabek artwork. What? Which is unfathomable. You're goddamn straight it is. That's, that artwork is... How can you not like Mike Parabek artwork? He says, in second... Not to be politically incorrect, but she's a girl. <laughs> he says, come on, really? Oh, Josh, maybe you didn't want me to read your name out loud. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I see, I think, maybe possibly where you're coming from. I don't I don't know. I'm just going to let that let that statement just lay out there. It's going to stay clear of that. Anyway, he wraps it up by saying... Uh, he just uh, signs off, Josh Eldrigan. Well, thank you very much, Josh, for that. And uh, as you probably know by now, I have started uh, another show just simply called Batman Adventures. Now, what that show is going to be is that show's name will change with every subsequent series. Batman Adventures only runs, I think, 36 issues. So whatever the next DCAU series is, whether it's Batman and Robin Adventures or whatever the next one is, then the name of that show will change to whatever the next series is. So I'm yep. just going In to about follow a year. this along. <laughs> yeah. So follow me on that. Um, the goal with that show is for those episodes to be five-minute shows. We'll, we'll see if I can continue to pull that, that feet off or not. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a blast doing that. I love those comics. And uh, 
Uh, so far, that show seems to be a big hit. You know, as of this recording, only the first episode is out, but the numbers on that show have been phenomenal, and the feedback's been really good. So uh, I hope you enjoy uh, what I've done with that one. And let's see. We have one last feedback. This is from Bobby C. Is uh, Bobby C. How he, he identifies. A.K.A. Star, Wor- Star Wolf Oakley. I don't know what... Okay, I don't know what that means. (laughs) He or she writes, because I guess Bobby could be a woman as well, writes, Dear Chris and Scott, I left a message on your board a few weeks ago regarding my opinion of identity crisis. I don't remember seeing that. Did I see that? I think it was a voice message. Ah. So this is a guy. This I is remember the, okay. he left, yes, a, he I left do a voice message. This. I do remember this. Because we did hear it, because I heard it, I made an MP3 of it and sent it off to Scott. I do sure. remember that. He says, uh, I was hoping to help you with a review or two in an upcoming episode of Two True Freaks. I have the Final Crisis series and a few of the supplemental series, uh, and I could help you with an episode reviewing that very strange miniseries. Bobby C., a.k.a. Star Wolf Oakley. Bobby, I am really sorry it's taken me so long to get back to uh, to this and address this, uh, but I wanted to make sure to do it on the show because I didn't want you to feel like like I had forgotten or that I was blowing it off or anything. The thing is, is that all right? You're you're you brought up two different things, which one was identity crisis and the other one was uh, final crisis. See, I don't really have much to say about either one of them now like uh like infinite crisis for example somewhere down the road i'll probably talk about that but identity crisis i can just chalk that up by saying i thought it was an okay read i didn't see what all the hubbub was about i mean that story's held up as like one of these you know one of the awesome events of our time kind of thing and it was really to me blown all out of proportion i thought it was okay at best for one thing I like mystery stories just fine, but I like mystery stories themselves as a mystery that you can actually solve. What I don't like and I call total bullshit on is when you get the mystery story that, you know, near the end of the story says, you know, Batman has all the clues. Have you gathered them all? Can you figure out what, who the killer is or whatever? And then when they reveal what it is, it is this total fucking bullshit that you never, ever would have been able to figure out what it was because they did not present you with all the clues. That's what I think Identity Crisis is. I enjoyed it, but I call bullshit on the thing of you should have been able to figure it out who it was at the end of the story. No, you shouldn't have because it was one of those very Silver age concepts where, you know, they pull shit out of left field that – Oh, you know, well, you know, this person did this and did that and blah, blah, blah. And that's why this. And you're like, what? So, yeah, it was okay at best. Final crisis. I can sum that one up in one word. Shit. Um, (laughs) I I don't have any interest. I'm sorry to review that one at all. I didn't even read it. I read the first issue and was absolutely fucking appalled by it and have no. Mortified. Mortified. I have no desire to ever read that. Why in the world they slapped Crisis on that as if it was a tie-in to the other Crisis events, like Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, mystifies and uh, just utterly pisses me off because it has not a goddamn thing to do with any of that. It was just to make a buck. And, you know, 
it was more Morrison weirdness that just should have happened in in like a an Elseworlds tale or some other special series or something. It should not have been DC's crossover event for that year. And I, I think they just totally, totally dropped the ball on that whole thing. And that's pretty much my reviews of both of those. So I, I appreciate your wanting to uh, to join me and, and discuss those. But honestly, I mean, I, that's all I would have to say on them. There's just not enough material there for me to really want to get into more in depth because I just didn't think enough of either one of them. But, uh, you know, if there's anything else out there. I that was going to say, there's got to be something else that we, oh, yeah. <laughs> we could find that because um, I'm – we're certainly not adverse to having you on the show to talk about something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I apologize. It's taken me so long to get back to that. I, you know, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes. And at that point, I think that's about all that we have time for as far as, uh, as listener feedback. So get those cards and letters come in. You goddamn little brats. <laughs> Before I kick your ass. Now sit down and shut up. Go lay down. Visit our website at two truefreaks.libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. Two truefreaks.libson.com is spelled T W O T R U E. F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show... Why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com. But just the two true freaks... Dicks as long as your arms A beats all you never saw Been a flapping their jaws Since the day they was born Prapping on bats A downloading films Well someday Demanza might get them But recap never will Making their way the only way they know how. Well, that's just a little bit more than good taste will allow. Just the two true freaks treated like they was dirt. A throw in a tantrum like a two modern day Captain Kurtz. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.